Friendships or kind of like hero worship of any of these people that you worked with? No, there, there might have been some sort of friendships, but way later on. And they were, I would say, to be honest, more in the nature of father figures because my parents split up before I started making movies and there was no father in my family. And so naturally, the directors would fall into that slot and play the role of the father figure or some of the lead actors sometimes. But I didn't form very many friendships. I was very, uh, I was very withdrawn as a child. I mean, a child, I have children myself. Now, at this point in time that I'm talking to you, I have a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old. And they are enjoying a childhood. And they play. And they go to school. They learn and they play. And they have this fantastic world that's unfolding before them. And it seems right that that's what they should be doing. And I would think that if I had some reason to or the ability to put them to work, I would drastically change their experience. And I don't think for the better. If they had to work 8, 10, 12 hours a day, move their schooling down to three hours a day and fragment it and had to work in a very high pressure situation psychologically and emotionally high pressure situation with adults who on subconscious levels are competing with one another in various ways. I think their childhood would go out the window. And mine went out the window. I didn't have the free play. So that's what made me, I was withdrawn. I mean, I was going, what the hell is, I wanted out of it. Was there pressure on you to deliver? Well, MGM was a big studio and uh, you could feel that they certainly wanted the, the performances to deliver, as you say. Everyone on the set, I mean, when it came time to rehearse and then roll a camera, there's dead silence. They go like this and it's bang all on you. If you don't think they want you to deliver, I don't know what you think. You couldn't go, I'm sorry, I don't want to do it. Yes, it was intense pressure. Did you enjoy any part of it? Uh, sporadically, I think one, uh, one of the countless uh, beautiful wondrous facets of a child is that they are able to find ways to be to enjoy themselves and i was no exception it was just a little more difficult for me because it's the situation someone else who's been through it would you know understand roddy mcdowell and jackie Cohen, elizabeth all these people that had the experience would know what i'm talking about sure you, there are times when you enjoy yourself and you have fun what about friendships with other kids on the lot? Were you able to form any? I didn't form any. 
No. Was was there a competition? Maybe not from not on your part, but on some of the other kids. No. Well, for one, there were very very few children there, and in, in the under contract and going to school in the schoolhouse at MGM, there were no more than ten, and some of those were in the other room. They were in more advanced grades. Elizabeth was in there, and Shirley Johns was another girl. They were sort of buddies because they were budding teenagers at the time. And I can't remember all the kids that were in the younger grades. Claude Jarman was there for a while. Uh, Margaret was there for a while, and several others that would come. And, and next thing you knew, they weren't there anymore. Because they were kidnapped. Entirely <laughs> <laughs> different movie. Oh. All right, welcome to wanted. movie night extravaganza. <laughs> of course, that was Dean Stockwell, who just passed away at the age of 85 after a seven-decade-long movie career uh, spanning, I think on IMDb, I was looking last night, 240 credits, which is, you know, insane, I think. Um, especially, like, that level of longevity, that level of... Um, like good roles even even as you know i mean because he wasn't exactly young in like the 80s and 90s when he really started to have that comeback you know doing the player doing dune doing all these different david lynch movies, blue velvet like all of that kind of in that same period um yeah so that that longevity is really is really amazing great awesome but like yeah. i don't know if, if you if you want me to start at the on the note that uh you know like of today's movie, I feel like we, we, we could have probably like discussed a different uh, movie. We were going to talk about uh, Blue Velvet, but then like, you know, we, we switched to Paris, Texas. But like, I feel like there's a kind of um, bittersweet note that I have to begin by saying that like, while I like really enjoyed every moment that this dude was on the screen, um, I did feel like this was a movie in which, um, you know, speaking of the child, I feel like the child in this movie like kind of like ate him up a little bit with the performance um, <laughs> because like the child was so compelling and like i think the the scenes in which the child was like basically leading the scene itself like with, with the other character was kind of like pretty uh telling in a way that i think he's describing how children are and that they find a way to make everything joyful and you know um despite whatever the circumstances and that's kind of pretty fascinating that you began this uh discussion with that clip yeah, well, of course, the movie that we watched this week to to introduce it is uh, Paris, Texas, which is a 1984 um, kind of outlaw western, not outlaw, but like western styled uh, like family drama slash kind of, um, I mean, mystery on the level of like a like learning about the guy as as kind of time goes on, like not well, almost mystery, like war in a way, yeah. Yeah. But like it's a very um, Vin Benders, very Vin like Benders. A, like he has a like thing a psychological, yeah. like a psychological noir. Because I feel like in noir movies, yeah. a lot of times the the pressure is coming from the outside, and it's like somebody chasing him. And in, and in this, he's trying to figure out kind of his own, um, you know, who he is um, after that fugue state. I think, or I mean, I, I don't know what you guys think about the fugue state. You know, he starts off the movie and he seems not to be able to remember anything. Is that just alcoholism kind of soaking his brain, and then? Uh, or do you think it's just wandering through the desert or do you think he's kind of, uh, in a way faking it and like trying to just get away? Um, I mean, I, I can tell you, I've been through some breakups where I've just wanted to like go and walk 
to the ends of the earth like that. Um, <laughs> this, was, this was way yeah. more than a, this was way more than like a breakup. Yeah, you know, and I mean, he did it for four years, which is, which is impressive, but like, you know, uh, I, I mean, like I can appreciate that, 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 that emotion. Um, but you know, it took us a while to figure out where, you know, what, what happened, but you know, I probably introduced the panel by the way. Yeah. <laughs> That's a thought. <laughs> All Do right. You really need to introduce us. To your show, I mean, brother. <laughs> definitely introduce Marine Dove, who is a YouTuber, uh, Twitch streamer, artist, um, you know, many, many, many other other things. Um, yeah, if you want to, if you want to plug anything, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm Marina Dove. I make uh, like literary analyses and like class analyses on uh, YouTube. Sometimes I stream on Twitch when I'm playing video games, and you can find me on Twitter being like a world class shit poster. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and going this way, Karthik. Uh, I think everybody everybody knows Karthik at this point. He's like you know pretty much one of the the three rotating co-hosts. I think Conan is the is the other one, and, and I mean, and Andy obviously on pretty much all of them. But um, you know, Karthik is uh, has revolutionary tracks, which uh, Conan's about to be on right on Friday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're team. gonna have Conan on. Spoiler yeah. alert. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, it's always a pleasure to be here. And like, it's kind of fun funny that like you, you said rotating co-host, but all three of us are here basically at this yeah. point, I think. <laughs> uh, I wonder if there's anybody else also. But there oh, was a point. Rotation's broken right now, apparently. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, there was a point where you guys hadn't been on the same panel for a little bit, wasn't there? And also, Kenzo's been on a million of these shows. And I feel like like Conan was never on a panel with Kenzo until a couple of weeks ago or something. Yeah, yeah. It's so just it's like. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> It's all, you know, it's almost just like luck of the draw, really, you know, sort of like, ah, we totally did. We, it's so I would equate it to like when you play in bands, like, oh, yeah, man, we play, you know, when we played Sash and Shash, I was like, oh, no, we didn't play that show. I'm like, oh, really? And like, it just feels like someone was there. You're like, oh, yeah. it feels like you were there. <laughs> feels like you played that show, you know? I was like, okay. Anyway, I mean, especially those like early, those early giant panel episodes. Yeah, it's like I there's mean, 17 oh freaking people on the panel. You, yeah. You're one still of them, doing right? the oh, good no. one right now. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. yeah, I mean, you know, it almost it almost was if Anna was on, it would have been one, I think, because like a lot of people were like, oh, Anna's coming on. Let me cash in this yeah. favor and uh, <laughs> and come on the panel. Yeah, everyone wants to know you suddenly. Anyway, I'm walking <laughs> over Carthic Centro, so continue. <laughs> what I do. Oh, I thought the intro was done. No, I mean, like, is there anything more? I mean, anything more you want to plug? Oh, yeah, I mean. We, we're just like basically trying to talk to musicians who um, are, I guess, like the the kind of uh, working rule is that um, we're no longer going to just be, you know, operating from the point of view of critique of the mainstream, but like actually um, give like voice and like talk to artists who are actually doing the work in the community and like also uh, really taking seriously the project of like making music for the people and so on. So. The, we have Conan uh, um, next, and like we have a couple of other artists, like including uh, someone who's a collaborator of Napoleon the Legend. So yeah, I was uh, going to say excited. Napoleon the Legend is the first person that comes to mind when it. I mean, I know he's been on your show a bunch of times, but like he's the first person that comes to mind when it comes to like doing the work and actually like building, yeah, building stuff on the ground. I saw um that clip of him. Somebody posted a clip of him uh, on Sway in the morning today, and I was watching. Yeah. Him, I was watching him freestyle on Sway in the morning, which is a mind fuck because I like. You know, I actually like have had conversations with them, so it's like next to Sway, 
<laughs> I don't I don't know if like you know we want to aspire to the same levels of celebrity that like you know uh, pop culture like attributes to you know any any artist really like whether it be a filmmaker or a movie star or a musician but like I feel like the, it still is a very empowering feeling when you see like Napoleon do that or like you know when an artist is actually uh doing something that's um at once both radical and like to to an extent like cool Uh, I think that's basically the mix that we're uh, trying to showcase in the series. And I mean, like, I don't I, think I don't think you know, uh, you know. I think I think the critical the critical role is probably not to overshadow artists, but the artistic role. I think, like whether you're a leftist or genuinely radical or not, I think you can be in all of these spaces and like really and be highly successful. Just like you know, probably don't like hit the Jay Z and become a fucking billionaire and and you know <laughs> hit the Jay Z button. <laughs> Oh, I'm yeah. Jay Z now. I hit the button. Damn it! Oh, what's happening? <laughs> I can't right. find the Jay Z. Not button again. <laughs> All right, we have Conan Neutron, the uh, the the host of Protonic Reversal, and of course, frontman for Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. How's it going? <laughs> Fantastic. Great to be here. Uh, I love this movie and. I love Blue Velvet as well, but I'm glad to be talking about it because I actually rewatched it recently and I was really just struck by how beautiful and interesting and unique it is. And I think that that's, I'm looking forward to talking about it. I think I mentioned, I think if they made it today, well, first of all, good luck making it today, but it'd be like a prestige television series because it kind of yeah. has like so many movements to it, right? Like, you know, it's like you have like the whole like beginning, right? Who's this guy? What's his deal? What's happening? And then there's like, okay, you know, he finds a family, so on. And then there's just the whole, you know, no no spoilers or anything, but there's the whole like going back to Texas with the kid and so on. And like it's it covers so many things, but that's totally a Vim Benders thing. Like if yeah. any of you guys have seen Until the End of the World, it's like that like times 20 where you're like, oh my God, is this like, you know, like The Sims or something? Like what <laughs> post-apocalyptic The Sims? <laughs> like it seems to be there seemed to be some interesting tension like off screen between him and, um, and Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. Um, well, Harry Dean Stanton is, is, is both known as one of the like coolest, sweetest dudes in the world. And also like a very opinionated guy who knows exactly what he wants. Yeah. And, and uh, again, RIP to another legend because I don't think I've ever seen him. In, and there was nothing I've ever seen him in where he didn't make it better. Yeah, which I mean, in some cases like uh like like pretty and pink, you know, it it wasn't that yeah. hard to make it better. Absolutely. <laughs> no. But anyway, I, I'm super happy to be here talking to y'all about Paris, Texas. I think it's a really great movie, and I'm excited to so to mix it up, get in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and of course, I didn't I didn't introduce Andy yet. J. Andrew World illustrator, co-host, good 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 friend. Working guy. Oh man, I, I've done nothing doing nothing but drawing and watching movies, and it's kind of ridiculous what, at this point. What a hard oh, life. Terrible. What a hard life you must lead. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I know it's terrible. You. No, uh, <laughs> but but uh, you know, you'll be happy to know I've seen three movies today and gotten uh, quite a few, you know, quite a bit of artwork done. Literally, you draw every sketch on left YouTube, I feel like. Uh, no, but uh, I got I've gotten around. I'm working my way through left YouTube. Yeah, uh, not yet. Start being there's gonna start being like uh rip off like rip off J Andrew World things, and it's gonna be like K Andrew World or like L Andrew World, like, just... <laughs> like the GoBots version. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I have to like start creating like a lefty um uh like uh what are those things uh non fungible coin things um, <laughs> dollar like store day in the world who wants yeah. a who wants a movie night extravaganza NFT yes. um, <laughs> like non globe <laughs> yeah. non fuckable token is that right <laughs> I I read that whole I read that whole meme in the in the Chris Meltasanti voice too, and I was like really pissed at that because I just was like, wow. <laughs> um, did you see that? Did you see the thing recently? Uh, Elijah Wood, I guess, um, bought this like um, this zombie this zombie NFT, and he was like bragging about it. And it turns out the guy is like a like a far right like fascist like guy that's drawn like a bunch of these like really racist cartoons in the past. He didn't know that, I don't think. But I it was really funny to imagine like. Um, Elijah Wood doing like the, um, well, I, cause I mean, it's not Frodo, obviously it does it as Bilbo, but like it was, it was golden. So it's like, he was holding it like the like, fucking ring. And he's just like, after all, why not? Why shouldn't I keep it? Cause everyone's like, everyone's like, get rid of it. Get rid of it. <laughs> oh, okay. I see. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah, I mean, that's you know, reference no one's going to get in two weeks, but I got it. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, who, what, when did that happen? <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't know. I I raced. I, I thought it was gonna pop off, so I raced to make um a, a picture of, of Frodo holding the holding the yeah, NFT, yeah. and I made one I like, mean, within thirty seconds of seeing it. And then like like I think Nia Nia retweeted it. No one else did, and I was like, <laughs> I, was like oh, I, I didn't get what the joke was referring to, so I didn't retweet it. Oh. Yeah, I think all of this like looks extremely unfunny and like you know ridiculous when we're looking at it from the real world, right? Like, but once we're in the metaverse, this is gonna be like the treasure that everybody is gonna seek, and like everybody's life is gonna become about that. And like you'd you'd yeah. be wondering, are we living in a simulation all the time? And like that's basically what we're where we're headed. I think. It's I feel like a lot of people already zone. are wondering that all the time, which is yeah. Funny, yeah I mean, but... that's that's kind of the that that was kind of the point. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, like it's gonna be a repeat of the same thing. It's like you know, like how we wonder if we are living in a virtual reality that has no meaning or tethered to reality. I mean, like speaking of right, like I mean, which is I think the point of the the fugue itself. Like, how how does this dude end up in this state of like complete um, alienation and he has no um, memory or recollection of what happened to him and he's piecing his life together after that and like we're watching the movie unfold as he pieces his life together uh which is basically i think what we do uh with our like fragmented selves like online these days but like i don't know if Wim Enders was like basically being uh offering a premonition of uh, social media through paris texas um, <laughs> but i don't know i don't know i mean like that's obviously uh, too much of a reach but like you know you get the point that like you know we're kind of living uh, Hattie, Hattie Dean Stanton's life, all of us. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's there's some merit to that, and I think it's interesting that the viewer has to sort of draw their own conclusions for like a really long time about like what you know what led this guy to be in this place, like what is his deal, like what's happening, and then then it's like and even the end, you're like, oh, smoke inhalation. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but I think it's, um, you know, you know, again, it's a noirish style of storytelling, but it's not really noir. It's just sort of, yeah. I, I mean, it's very Vin Vendors. Like if you, it's like, it's like that guy's wildly Teutonic in his way, you know, although like, I think, uh, you know, to, to bring back the noir comparison, the colors used, uh, the oh, way yeah. the colors are used in uh, some of the scenes is very noir, which is 
odd because noir's known for black and white, but but like uh, yeah. you know, noir's known for high contrast. You know, black. I have I have towards the end. I have the the color slides. I have like nineteen of them that I grabbed. Yeah, like... and, and <laughs> I think I think one of the strengths of the movie is is kind of playing with the noirish concept of contrast, but using colors. And and I, I right really well. Uh, I've out, only gotten like, through the movie yeah, yeah. once, so I I can't quite speak on like you know, any deeper meaning of like why they use the colors when they did. Uh, uh, so, so, um, I mean, the entire movie is in like, Wait, Karthik, I want to bring, I want to bring Marina into this. Cause you know, everybody, everyone else, <laughs> oh, has, okay. everyone else had long, 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 long points so far. Oh, I mean, um, I'm, I might not have like as, as deep, of an analysis, I was just like very taken aback by like how much you were allowed to hate your kids in the eighties and get away with it. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, you give them a key, they get to go home. <laughs> like just completely like blown away by that. But um, yeah, I, I I remember like when I was watching where there's the scene where he steps into the the first motel room that they're in when he when his brother picks them up. And just remember looking at like the red coloring in the bed and um you know it just feels like like there's always this attempt to capture just kind of how like ugly everything was in the 80s like how <laughs> the polyester the tacky patterns the clashing everything's just but um you know uh i definitely did notice like the the stark like contrast in colors and and was definitely like keenly aware to like this tie to the color red uh just keep kept popping up like throughout the green yeah, yeah. Lots of green too all right I'll, I'll i'll throw up the the um i mean all right i'll play the clip on. no no it's not the clip so so it's um no i have i have a gift, a gift of uh script being thrown in the air and pages flying down yeah. <laughs> no i have a um i have a um a, a folder of like shots that I took oh, cool. um, uh, that I grabbed that I liked. And so I have like, I, there's like 19 of them, which I went overboard with it, but. Um... Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. Uh, yeah. I was noticing there, there was a lot of red, including the, uh, the very, very, very last shot where uh, with the uh, driving, since mm -hmm. everybody's quiet, I, I figured I'd jump in. Um, but again, since, since I've only <laughs> just seen this movie for the first time, I don't, have a a um like like because because directors use color uh like something's very personal to them and it's not like a universal thing um typically because because you know they're uh they're they're not thinking like you know what does this color you know express or whatever they're they're they're, they're thinking about like what does you know they're, they're thinking very cinematically about these things uh so so like i imagine like the green uh for that last shot came from the fact that that you know those street lights are very low quality lights if you ever take pictures with them they do turn yeah. uh you know towards the green because it's it's uh you know low quality uh light so you're talking about the, the parking lot right the, the yes end. yeah and they thought i, I mean they thought really, really deeply um <laughs> they thought they thought really deeply i think about um uh the the color the color in it and the lighting because um i was listening to the dvd commentary i listened to i didn't listen to all of it i didn't go through the whole uh you know two and a half hours of dvd commentary but i listened to like a good amount of it today at least the second half of it and um but what well, the first half of it they they were talking about the diner scene that was lit kind of green and they didn't have a correct light going at the angle that they needed to so they brought in their own um 
so that's kind of what tinted i think tinted it green was they brought their own lighting in to uh to kind of do that but i i'm kind of i mean it it, it seems to go along with the actual um i watched i watched it like one and a half times i didn't i didn't watch the so i i kind of am on your level andy but um the the times that like in the beginning and the end it's bathed in green this this level <laughs> yeah. of green in both cases and then you know as he gets closer and closer like out of the wilderness um it, it start the green starts to fade and it gets less and less green and it's like this and then the blues start coming and yeah. uh the red and, and you know what i mean so like those colors start to be more apparent but like um with like the beginning and the end he's bathed in in this like that that dark green both times um um the the time when uh, he kind of basically takes the kid away um i mean like we we're going to get to that uh, but like the the entire trip uh, the colors that they wear is like basically red white and blue and uh, the kid even has like an asa shirt and like he wears a full red shirt and i always wondered if you know wim wenders is a guy who uh, made movies a documentary about cuban music before like you know in the in the 80s and stuff like that so um and and note worth also uh, you know worth noting here is uh, rai kuder is the musician uh, who scores this movie and like i i was like pretty uh, taken aback to even you know discover that and um it's kind of interesting how the the red could i don't know if it if it signified like we're all basically you know socialists so i what do you think the red actually had to do with a sort of revolutionary spirit or like some kind of radical thought that he's supposed to embody because he does like wear red at some pretty significant points in the story i mean like, it's an awakening that he's like coming back from is the fugue also supposed to be some sort of like um awakening that he's had i thought i thought i had the one where they were matching but i guess i didn't grab that one but this is a, this is a good example of his this is the red shirt that he's wearing when he leaves with his uh with his son um i i don't i mean i don't necessarily think it's that i think that I definitely think it's the red hat uh, when he comes out of the desert and yeah. and it's and it's like the catcher in the rye hat I I remember like that's something that uh is supposed to be like uh, and I don't know if it, we have, we also have remember that the writer of this movie is Sam Shepard uh who is like far more uh, I would say a uh, bigger heavyweight than even probably Wim Wenders at the time I don't know um as a writer he could have been a more significant prolific um author and so on with with his own like style and what not so i wonder how much of this is like supposed to signify some kind of you know jd salinger kind of um holden caulfield kind of you know rebellious or like um well i i think i think away. you know the the west the west in itself kind of has this the, the the wilderness feel to it right like wandering through the desert almost like biblical You know what I mean like wandering away from from this from this great flame like as you as you imagine at the end of it like wandering through the desert for for whatever amount of time into the wilderness like they keep using that phrase the um you know the the uh, Dean Stockwell keeps using the phrase like you're not in the wilderness anymore you know what I mean you're back you're back with your family you're back around people you're not in the wilderness and I think that I think the wilderness part of it um it kind of plays a big role in why these colors are so heightened right like green is almost green is like you know well it's both like the woods and stuff but it's also like you know camouflage and a predator like the color that predators can see the most shades of like i i think that these these bright colors signify that he's going farther and farther into this wilderness and then you know the colors get more muted when he's at the house like the colors are extremely muted at the house with uh Ian Stockwell and his kind of very kissy french wife <laughs> <laughs> i thought i thought she was going i thought she was going to like 
first I thought, all right, so the kid kind of looked like her a little bit. Like the kid kind of had a similar, because the kid was blonde and obviously he's looks very different from that. So I thought first you were going to find out that secretly she was the mom. That was my first guess. Like she was the actual mother no. or something of the kid and they had like hidden. Like I thought, I feel like there's going to be something there or that she was going to sleep with him or something. Like, but then, but then that's, I mean, I'm glad they didn't go in that direction. And just that would have like made it much fun. more mundane to me. Yeah. It would have been like much more expected and kind of like pedestrian almost. And this is, there's many things you can say about Paris, Texas, but pedestrian is not one of them. Yeah. She, she's almost MacGuffin in a way. Like, like um, she, she's there to kind of misdirect, but also drive the plot forward with the, um, uh, the fact that she's able to tell him where, uh, you know, his, his, uh, where his wife was at one point. So, yeah. so, you know, uh, you know, uh, MacGuffin's not quite the right term, but like she is a bit of a misdirect, like, like what, what's her, her, her actual goal there? Like what's her reason for being, um, you know, I think, uh, I think they're kind of like, um, mirror images, right? Almost like, mm -hmm. um, there's a mirror image going on with, uh, she's supposed to be the angel in the house who wants to be the mom. And, uh, yeah. uh that's the mirror image of, uh, Natasha Kinski. That's her name, right? Like um the 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 phone the phone uh line operator yeah, yeah. yeah. The iconic scenes in film that one rocco yeah. from rocco's modern light <laughs> right and like there's a bit of image like likewise going yeah, on there between... you go there you go that's the stuff that's a killer producer right there running this show yeah <laughs> and I... <laughs> that's my favorite that's my favorite mirror image because it's so fucking weird why yeah. like his face is just inside of her head <laughs> yeah yeah that's not something. That's not something that was changed. That's something I grabbed right from the movie. That's why he ran yeah, away. That's what he saw, and he ran away from it. That's <laughs> he's afraid of that. Basically, I, I mean, I'm only half joking. I don't know. I mean, like, I feel, I feel like he, he, he kind of uh, saw himself. Um, that's that's a very interesting relationship, which I think uh, probably deserves its own discussion. But I was mainly pointing out the fact that uh, there's a kind of parallel between uh, the the huge distinction between him and uh, his brother and uh, which is Dean Stockwell's character and RIP um, and the <laughs> and the kind of two European um, blonde women who seem to be the the kind of uh, counterweights to each of their characters um, which I think is kind of worth worth talking about where um, you have like somebody both of both of whom are kind of bringing in a cosmopolitan element into the w wild west uh landscape story as, as europeans frequently do i guess yeah. <laughs> and, I, and i feel like that's the that's the kind of question it seems to be asking like is that what uh, uh basically there's a point where um you know i forget which character but like basically there's a dissatisfaction with are, are we just going to live in the suburbs now is this what life is going to yeah. be and uh i think like there's a there's the sort of tension between someone who just like want, wants to run away into the desert and like kind of still be scrounging at the at the edges of what they think can happen uh in in like expansion and whatnot like expanding their reach and whatnot and, and on the other hand like there's this cosmopolitanism that's like uh seeming to also like I, I feel like they're also rejecting that in a way weirdly I don't I don't know uh that's why like I feel like there's tension between both wanting to be free on the one hand and also like uh rejecting this idea of like um, the the cosmopolitan idea of uh, you know being open and like vulnerable, being comfortable, sharing with each other, um, sort of thing that they're also shying away from, which is a conservatism almost, and that's kind of what is uh, fascinating. That's like there's the there's the 
doubleness well, of like both. Yeah. I was gonna say if I, if I may with that uh, up until the last point, I was I was I was like right on with you that like look at like a movie like Baghdad Cafe, which wasn't really super successful in America, but like really struck a chord with people in, in Germany, which hits upon like the idea of like the the wide open spaces of America as like not being a sense of adventure as is often sort of characterized and and, and put but like ennui and deep loneliness and emptiness. And uh, one of the reasons, one of the reasons why Baghdad Cafe, really separate film, uh, connected with a lot of people is because of this idea of connection, connection in this like very lonely, arid space. And in a way, I believe Parasex is about that as well. It's just that it, it's far less declarative <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. It's sort of left more of the imagination of, if it, you know, is, is Harry Dean Stanton's character successful in reconnecting with his family and his child? I mean, considering how it ends, it's like, well, is an objective success? No, but was it worth the effort? I mean that that goes to show you is it is a screws kid up more having known him at all than only knowing the, the like you know the the legend as told to him by like <laughs> family members that were not a fan uh, you know I don't know but it's 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 all very uh, tied in with those ideas of of the open spaces being not like a sense of adventure like but yeah like empty empty Are but we, like not necessarily uh, needing to be empty for forever. I think I think on that on a on a similar vein to that I guess um I would say that westerns um like westerns always have that at the end of it right the the hero rides away and I don't think that, I don't think fucking Harry Dean Stanton in this movie deserves to be called a hero because he literally you know attached a cowbell to his fucking wife and so that she, he could tell when she moved and he went fucking insane and like so like he, you know he was incredibly yeah. abusive i don't think but the, but the hero right the cowboy at the end of it rides away which is what he does at the end of the movie he realizes he can't put his um he can't put down his roots or whatever he needs to keep moving he doesn't deserve to um he doesn't deserve to sit down with his family he's done too much he wants to leave the the you know because the the mother really misses the child and he wants to leave them together and he wants to just keep traveling which you know is the classic western thing the thing that i think uh the the german like the the outside influence brings into it is that you actually see that these things have these things have consequences right like the 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 kid doesn't really like the kid's screwed up by the fact that like i mean not I, I do like how I do like the line a lot where they're like, oh, you have two dads. And he's like, yeah, isn't that great? Like, you know, what I mean, I like that line. But like you could tell, like they're, they're all of a sudden this guy shows up and his the, the guy that he thought was his dad is like, hey, I'm not exactly your dad. Here's a second dad. He's, <laughs> right. he's your actual dad, but I'm still your dad. And you can tell the kid's confused by that fact. And then the, and then the dad just takes him. You know what I mean? Like from the family yeah. and just like, all right, let's go find your mom. Who he doesn't go this weird, like non-sanctioned adventure. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Which, and then he has him hang up on the, on the over state lines. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I said, non-sanctioned adventure, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then takes him to a bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's yeah. getting drunk and the kid's like, hey, maybe you don't. <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah, exactly. The kid's like, hey, maybe don't drink that much. And then he's like, yeah, fuck you, kid, and keeps drinking. Yeah, that's what's like, like, I don't like, the the year. like, I don't, he's like, he's like, I don't like the smell of the alcohol or something when you, when you do this. And he's like, ah, and just keeps drinking and lets the kids fucking run around the bar. And he, also, like, leaves him in, he also leaves them in the car outside of a strip club, which I didn't, or not, what, what, I mean, it's kind of a, a therapeutic, a therapeutic, uh, nudie booth area. I don't know. It's the, the way that the, the direct, like, cause no, cause I couldn't exactly tell what it was. And then I listened to the DVD commentary. 
and apparently it was thought of as like a a a place for men to go talk out their issues but also like it was voyeuristic and i was like isn't that just like besides the voyeuristic part like isn't that just therapy like are you just inventing it confession created chatterbait like that's what it is like that's what that's what i was feeling so when karthik said the part about like it being kind of a premonition of social media when i was watching when it got to that part i was like that's only fans like this is this is what I do. I I am being perceived. People can see me, but I never see what, you know, my subs are doing. Like I never and some of them I don't even see their faces. Some of it is like completely anonymous. And like this guy just invented like cam girls without like right. knowing that he invented cam girls. Like 36, 35, 36 years ago. What is it? 37 years yeah, ago? Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a visionary, but you know. Right. I was I was just thinking about the fact that all right, so he was he was talking about it in this clip, and and I don't I, it's somewhere like somewhere in this folder. I'm not gonna grab it, but he's talking about it in this clip, and he's talking about how he's like, I envision this as like the booze, but the booths are there, but it's mostly for men to just come and, and talk about things and, and the women talk. And like, you know, there is the element of like seeing the women and stuff, like the, the voyeuristic element of it. But I don't actually think that it's like the sexual element of it. It's the therapeutic element of it. I'm like, so this is, this is what Ger like Germans are so against therapy, I feel like. That like this German man has created this entire because he calls it like a, a voyeuristic theme park. Like you built a whole theme park. He's talking about building it piece by piece and all these like things. Like you built a whole theme park to avoid talking about therapy. Like you just had the <laughs> yeah, and, and and I think confession basically. I feel like this was uh, yeah. this was almost like a sort of um, you're turned away. It's it's impersonal in a way, and like uh, the confession is in like third person. It's it, it, the person doesn't speak in uh, you know. In like in I and uh, I and you, uh, which was kind of um, I think the 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 whole catharsis of like everything that he wanted to get out of the system, he gets out, but he still like doesn't really allow himself the uh, pleasure even of sharing or making a real connection, which was kind of the uh, it's like there's always a wall between him and uh, whoever he's talking to, and that's that's I think some symbolized by the glass wall, literally. Um, and even when he, I mean, like, even this uh, backdrop, um, I think, like, signifies the kind of, like, repetitious nature by which, like, all of the walls show up. Like, even here, like, you think that you're seeing the entire cityscape, but you're really not. I mean, like, you're pretty much like a bird in a cage um, if you're sitting in one of these skyscrapers and that's your, you know, nine to five. Yeah. So I think, like, basically, it's 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 already started except that like our the walls have <laughs> i mean like the walls have just like closed in i think basically they've just been closing in over time uh but it's been it's been happening since like and women vendors clearly sees that um and the fugue basically coming back to the fugue it takes him to the most um polar opposite of this which is that like he kind of almost wants to see no horizon and no end to where he's going as opposed to like just being trapped behind this wall and and yet it's so funny like even then like he's still not able to kind of like bring himself out even when he has the opportunity to kind of share and that's that's what do you think that has to do with well i, I think wanna, that's very pressure I, I was yeah. just, i was just thinking about a point um well first i guess marina's point kind of reminded made me think of it it's kind of also like her um the the joaquin mm -hmm. phoenix movie 
where he's just like, you know, I mean, obviously the the computers at that point are like, or you know, Amy Tyrese uh, computers are, no, are are I don't know. I I went on a whole thing the other day about how I think Amy Tyrese is a is an AI that just is designed to uh, like cut conservative guys. But anyway, um, she's like but, a Siri that's gone horribly yeah. horribly wrong. Yeah, but anyway, Anytime so I, yeah. but that kind of but like an but I feel like that kind of movie right where it's just an AI and you're meant to talk to it and like whether or not you're lonely in this in this you know techno dystopia in some ways maybe. I mean, I, depending on who you are, I guess in it, but like you know, lonely men, you you don't become the Joker because uh, you know you have you have a computer to talk to, and in, and in a similar way in this, I think you you show up and I mean it's a real life, and you're seeing a real life person because it's the '80s, and you know you, you don't need to like it doesn't have to be a robot. We've progressed past that now, and you can just talk to a robot, I guess. But <laughs> it's kind of the you know innovation. <laughs> but it's like kind well, of taking away even the that movie is kind of a similar thing right like he, he's just talking to the like you're just supposed to talk to the to the voice and it talks to you back and like then you feel like maybe you're interacting with somebody and it's designed to kind of um like meet your needs or like your pleasures and and not really you know push back and stuff and you feel like there's somebody in your life that cares about you that's listening to you in the same way i think this is kind of designed in this movie to have that but of course it's a real person on the other side of it well i think that also the whole like look at like our society now right like we, we celebrate the individual without supporting the needs of the individual and how is that better shown than than <laughs> like he desperately wants to like make this connection but it's like this like through this like walled garden like literally walls but like this walled garden of like the interaction is like artifice and false and like there's there's very little that's real about it but still there's a yearning to make a connection. So that's, you know, hence the phone. Right. But you only want to make a connection. So you want to make it on like the terms, uh, you know, the, the, on the fields of battle, so to speak. And why is that so incredibly heartbreaking? Well, because look at how we have to interact with each other now, you know, whether it's like pre or, or during or post COVID, like we have to use these mechanisms to communicate and you know that's heavy that's that that's heavy and that's real and it doesn't stop things from being important or, or, or being poignant in fact you know I, I mean i gotta say like you know we've we've kind of stuck on it a little bit the mirror scene is like i mean good lord that's like one of my favorite scenes in cinema that's just like it's astounding and and then like what is really being done it's two people staring at each other right but it's it, it means so much and it takes someone like vim vendors to to just slow things down to that level where you're, you're, you're just, it's, it's, it's people, you know, what is it? People vibing, <laughs> but like, really though, I mean, like it, it's, it's this raw emotion and it does in a way that like, nobody has to like say almost anything. Like what is really being said in those scenes? By the so way, I, I was talking to Karthik earlier about um how I felt like it was kind of a, a play, like in some ways, like when they're talking to each other in that yeah. scene, right? She's facing out like towards an audience in the same body language as you would, in like a, in like a play where you know two people are talking but they're not facing each other like and um i was watching that dvd commentary and uh and and i i, I made this point before i before i watched this part but um you know he was talking about um how uh they literally did it like a play like they meant to do it like a one-act play because uh sam shepherd's like you know the words on the page were so like poignant they felt like and were so important like they they treated it like a play and when you see um I noticed like the the height of it i think is when she's facing outwards and then he's in the booth and there's this there's this one shot and let me see if i have it but 
um he's like so she's facing outwards towards us and he's facing um on the other way in the screen he's almost in like a theater box but he's also kind of on a stage and it's like he's projecting himself out on the stage and i was like wow this reminds me a lot of a play like i feel like this is that's because they can't really move outside of those spaces which is of course honest like when, when people you know are doing theater like they they have to make all of those um they have to make the entire thing work within that small space and in this it's even smaller because it's just you know a booth so i was like yeah it feels like that and then I was watching the uh, the commentary, and he's like, "Yeah, we treated it like a play. Like it literally was just like we, you know, we put a play on." It. I was like, "That's what right. it works." And then you think yeah. about the fact that like the kid's stuck in the car, and you're like, "Dick, you told you you keep up the windows in Texas. You yeah. crack those things. <laughs> Give him a bowl of water. Be human." But um, the kid can drive the car, right? Like, isn't that the isn't that the whole point? The kid's actually like kind of a wonder kid because like he. Uh, was uh, he has two dads abandoned yeah abandoned as a child so he had to raise himself and stuff like that he has so. two straight dads i don't you know weird <laughs> hey Conan, i got a question for you um have you ever covered uh hotline operator by the the no i i, I do like the the though it's a it's a great song um yeah it just totally your, your your whole monologue there i'm just sitting there thinking like um i'm just hearing like you singing hotline operator <laughs> you know I'll, so I'll, I'll speak to my people we'll take it under yeah, advisement yeah. all right so I have, I have i have a clip um that all I have. right so i don't even remember what the point was that it, it hit a point that we made perfectly and i don't remember what point it was but you know what i stayed up all night to try to get a, a, a like a, a thing together for this episode because i was doing it mad last minute and it was a really long movie so i don't need to remember things i'm still <laughs> watching the movie right now <laughs> What was the joke we made the other day about uh, Showgirls where Kenzo was like, oh, I went in and saw it at 15 and I was like, oh, you were 17 when you came out? The... <laughs> He's like, no, I was 13. Very good. Very good. These are the jokes. By that time, in the early 80s, Wim Benders didn't want to be the lonely boy out in the woods anymore. He wanted to return home. And that is what a lot of kids uh, started to want after the hectic early 70s after the utopian fantasies had vanished and the film that archetypically represents that collective desire is of course Paris, Texas which was the film that moved him smack into the middle of the German landscape not just of the new German cinema but of the German cinema at large Glad I can tell you that that is a very accurate picture of an emotional state of being alone, lost, I don't know what I'm going to do kind of thing. And uh, and then you have to say, well, that's partly the story, it's partly Harry Dean, who else could have done that? You know, who else can walk that walk, drop the water bottle the way he does? Perfect. The whole thing was a, an organic kind of thing, you know. And Sam and I got drunk in this, uh, we're drinking tequila, right? listening to a Mexican singer in Santa Fe. And... Uh, we, we were talking and I was going on I was getting a little drunk you know, I'm talking about it I said I'd like to do something with some beauty to it some with uh, we talk, I'm talking like that I, my life is needy I needed something to do that's worthwhile alright so that was the end of that and uh, and so, a so I started the movie podcast a weeks later Sam called me and said did I want to play the lead and I was quite taken aback and uh pleasantly surprised 
And I said, well, I'm not, I don't want to do it unless you and them are totally convinced and uh, totally enthusiastic about me doing the role. I don't want any of this shit about me being too old or whatever. They, that was one of the issues. And I thought of that right away, you know, because I identified Sam with the part and uh, I knew I'm older than Sam. So, but after Sam and I had talked, obviously, uh, uh, that was an organic interview, I guess. I don't know, or a meeting of the something. Travis, hey. Don't you recognize me? It's Walt. It's funny he's talking about being old then. <laughs> like y'all ever y'all see uh, Twin Peaks the Return where he's like 170 or something like where it's like I watched I watched a clip from 2015 two days before, or two years I mean yeah. before he died where he was telling that exact same story but was super old. So the story was like right. really so it was that story and like so he told that story quickly on that clip and then he was like and that, but it was like word for word the same exact so like kind of fucked me up because he was saying it so fast then. And then he's like, I don't know. I almost clipped the second one and I was like, no, I'm not going to clip that one. <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty cool that you brought out. Uh, I think this is the first time that we have revealed that the character's name is Travis, which I think is an important like kind of point, uh, point to even discuss because like uh, we can talk about the similarities between like, you know, um, Harry Dean Stanton's character in Paris, Texas and um, like Travis Bickle and uh, Jodie Foster's relationship in Taxi Driver um, and oh. how this this relationship could almost be their relationship, weirdly enough, because like the age gap yeah. and the kind of like approach. He just that happened he to be has, a little bit like, older. He just happened to be like maybe a little bit older when, <laughs> you know, what I, I mean? think like, about the same age and it's kind of even being implied the age inappropriateness of the relationship. And like, that's kind of like, well, they say, they say you're a 25 year old girl at one point. So whatever happened within the four years that between them, when he got caught on fire, she would have had to be 21. Mm -hmm. she's, 20, she's 25 when he goes and meets her with the four. But he's years. like about 50 years old. Yeah. He's like 50 like something. Yeah. Yeah. He's like old. Yes. And like, and I think that that kind of is a, is a parallel to how old uh, Robert De Niro was in Taxi Driver compared to Jodie yeah, Foster's like 15 She would have been 17 that. when she had the child too. Something like that. So I, I mean, like, I don't want to be like too accurate about it, but. Uh, a bunch of know, math majors in this show, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> By the way, one more thing. It's crazy to see something after watching Breaking Bad as many times as I have where the character Walt saves someone else in the fugue state because there's the episode in like the second season of Breaking Bad where Walt goes into the fugue state into the desert. Oh, I'm glad fugue states aren't like a movie trope as much as they are though. Like it, it's like, it's beautiful in this, but it's like, you know, all right. If you saw like, I don't know, Adam Driver doing it, like, all right, whatever. Fugue state. It's a little bit of a day it's marking also in a, in, a, in a kind of way. It's yeah. like, you know, it's 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 something that he can get away with by saying, yeah, yeah, he was in a fugue state. And like, yeah, he's in a fugue you know, state. There we go. Yeah, yeah you know, fugue, fugue state. We, we can Wizard skip a couple pages of writing. But that's kind of <laughs> what they did in, uh, in, in Breaking Bad. You know, like he faked the fugue state so that everyone would just be like, oh, well, you know, why were you why were you in your underwear in a grocery store? Ah, fugue state. So, like, so all of, that said, I love Memento. 
you know, and like that's all, you know, that's awesome. So it, it can be done really well. And that's not a fugue state, but that's like the same storytelling mechanism. I, I haven't seen Mental, but I have abused Xanax, and I feel like that's the same thing. So he's got to get random tattoos that, anyway, whatever. I won't spoil it. <laughs> and, maybe, and maybe accidentally pick up someone's shit from their house and leave with it. Marina, but, you're on the show. You got any thoughts on any of that stuff? On Fugue States? Yeah. Or on Xanax. I don't know. I'm, I'm on right <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I thought it. Um, I really like don't know what to what to think of of whether or not he was really like is he really in a fugue state or is he just so embarrassed by himself that he he wants to be in this state you know that he he needs the excuse to to like punish himself almost for four years in the desert biblically kind like of, a coping mechanism or something yeah. right yeah well which also kind of makes it biblical right like he's uh paying he's paying penance by yeah. wandering through the through the wilderness for he's long like the israelites and um because they had the golden calf i mean there's definitely <laughs> and he had the cowbell he, he had a, and he had a cowbell when they like when that happened i like had to stop the movie and just go what? You did you did what? You Who did, did what now? Like that was so <laughs> shocking without having to see any of it, which I like I really appreciate. Like ha- like there's a lot of films where it's like, okay, they want to portray the violence against the woman on screen almost as a sick form of sadism for the viewers. And this one, like I I was like completely like shocked, but not in a traumatic kind of way and I really appreciate that and then also just the way that they did do this kind of like sex worker scene where it isn't this like gratuitous voyeuristic like she doesn't even get naked he doesn't actually like pursue her and like take advantage of her not knowing who he is it uh like it just I think it really did that really well like and it aged well, well. It, like it, it aged like very, very he's seeking, well. He's seeking ultimate forgiveness, right? Like he's seeking yeah. absolution, which brings it back to that religious theme, I think, because he's kind of he's he's begging for forgiveness. But then within that confessional thing, I don't remember um uh, like whether it was Carthag or, or Cronin who said earlier, like it's kind of a confession, or I don't maybe it was in I don't know. I have too many co-hosts now. Okay, um, just attribute you to the show and move on. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's almost like this confessional thing. But like, I mean, which is the true thing about confessionals, right? Like, you don't start with the craziest thing. You start with like, you know, well, the relationship wasn't going so well, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, things got weird, and then I was afraid she was she didn't love me, and I was trying to make her jealous. And then, you know, she I, she wasn't jealous, and I was getting upset that she wasn't jealous, and she wanted to leave. So then I attached a cowbell to her so that when she moved, I could hear her, and then so right. she couldn't get away. And then I chained her to the bed, and you're like, wait, 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 yeah, wait, like wait. The, whoa, 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 back it up there, son. Whoa, whoa, hold on. Like, well, well, two, well, the thing two is, clicks back. So that kind of, like, that kind of brings us to the question of, like, also, you know, even, even uh, ta- Taxi Driver, like, the end, uh, you know, he's he thinks that he's always out to do the right thing like he wants to save the girl he wants to like you know rescue the uh the the kind of uh 
poor lamb who has fallen into the into the kind of, kind of cracks of the system um, and so on. And, and, and at the same time, what is he really acting out of is a question. Like, we, we kind of really don't get a, you know, well, the, the taxi driver, a, a, a the taxi moralistic driver. answer we're getting, but yeah. we're not really getting an answer that is actually true. We're getting, like, he's, uh, even the scene where he says, like, you know, he doesn't pursue her, um, take advantage of her. Yes, that's one in, one interpretation. But on the other hand, like, he's extremely kind of almost, like, uh, tight, uh, wound and like he's he's not even willing to open himself up to the possibility that like you know um, he, he yeah he doesn't even want it to continue in the in that direction because he's just so embarrassed of what he has done what he is etc and like I don't know what kind of it's the it's the mirror right like it's the same thing with Travis as well like he, he I don't know how much he was trying to rescue her as much as he was like extremely embarrassed of looking at that reflection of his own face in what was going on. And I think I mean, that's kind of I, like an interesting thing to explore as well. Like, what is I, that? Do you want to see fear? Hold up a mirror. My my taxi driver thing at the end of it when I watched it. I mean, I've watched it a million times, but like it, at the end of it, the thing that really strikes me about Taxi Driver in the end is that the the moral of it is is in an extreme gray area where if he had if he had killed the the presidential candidate that or like you know what I mean the candidate that he wanted to kill originally to to impress that girl then he would be in prison for the rest of his fucking life. He'd be like John Hinckley or whatever. You know what I mean? Like he, he'd be, you know, like, well, he's out now, but you know, he'd be like, he'd be like a president or a presidential candidate assassin. He'd be like, you know, um, and uh, so, but then because he killed the right people and became a vigilante, but because he was like, he a cop, with an under, but, but because he was obsessed with an underage girl and wanted to have, like, was having sexual fantasies about an underage girl, that part, like, it's kind of this ironic twist of fate where it's like, oh, well, you just happened to kill the right guys. You're mentally ill as fuck. Like you're ha- like you you're not someone that can survive a society, but you happen to kill the right guys, so you're kind of uh, absolved in the, in the face of the law on this issue. But but here's the here's the kind of uh, flip side to that. Right? Something like, that only happened does, in the '70s, by the way. I don't wants, think after the '70s, I don't think you can make that point after the '70s and have it be okay. I think after that point, the vigilante thing is like, yeah. Well, I mean, I after I, that, I, you, I can't go to the, the, you can't really go to a theater to jack off either. So I mean, lots of things change. Yeah, I don't well, think it's also the, like the, the I mean the, hey um, maybe you the Delancey movies uh, <laughs> change too like in the 80s because you had uh you know vigilante movies were like um um death wish in the 70s and then in the 80s you got more like you know the Salone type or, or or the um uh you know Punisher I think uh, you know in 89 uh it, you know it seemed more like a revenge flick than a comic book ad- adaptation and of course our most our our, our big vigilante movie one, two, Freddy's coming for <laughs> Yes. They played for the heroism dearly. I, I, I kind of was, was like the vigilante aspect is one, but uh, the other aspect is like basically the uh, the need to rescue somebody from the clutches of like promiscuity. And, and that seems to be one other aspect. Like in, on the one side, you could, you could call it like degradation, you know, uh, loss of self, dehumanization. Etc. But on the other hand, he's also kind of like a an extremely puritanical person. Like he he does have that uh, about him as well. And I and I don't know, uh, you know. And it, and it's it's very heavily implied here uh, too in in the kind of almost you know shocking reaction that he has when she is about to like take her sweater off, and he's like, no no no, don't do it. And it's like mm-hmm. it's almost like a cry of like please don't kind of uh, like he's he's like a. a for willfully like, nobody wants to fantasize about their like wife 
No, I'm just kidding. Um, Marina, any any thoughts on this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely did get that kind of like the the like well, I mean the whole the whole like thing behind making it this so that they're not touching each other. They're behind like I get I get that it looks like a confession and all of this stuff, but it does also have this like you want to keep her pure and keep the appearance of her pure and so that she stays the way that he envisions her or like fantasizes about her or just like became so like mentally disturbed by how much he loved her that you know like when he leaves he's just okay so you just left this child with a (laughs) sex worker like like the man that she's standing with is obviously her pimp like and he looks terrifying just some cool guy hanging out you know yeah so it's like (laughs) It's just like um... oh, <laughs> John Lurie's not a pimp, is he? <laughs> yeah, so it was. It definitely did have that kind of like Captain Save a Ho, a little, a little feeling there. But he also leaves his he leaves his fucking kid in the car. Too, you know what I mean? Like he's yeah, yeah. he's leaving the kid everywhere. He's a terrible father, really. <laughs> and the kid has good parents. The the the, the aunt and uncle are great parents. They like don't oh, yeah. over that kid so much. And then the fucking alcoholic dad comes back and he's like, "Hey, kid, we're going to find your your your. We're going to find your mom at this uh, you know, at 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 the, at the series of booths. Stay in the car. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah, we're gonna make you a latchkey Yeah. It also uh, kind of like allegorically seems to suggest that the fallout of like, uh, if you can see. Uh, Dean Stockwell probably important to keep him, you know, in our conversation as well because you know he's the yeah, right, man of the hour. Uh, but uh, you know, he's the uh, stability. He's he's the he's like the good kid, right? Yeah, he's like the guy. I have a really good. I have a really good Dean Stockwell clip for the end of the show. So I'm I'm we'll we'll we'll, we'll keep him in our we'll keep him. Yeah, in I mean, like I was I was just getting to the point that like he's he's a he's the guy who's got his uh he's the Mr. Success. Like he's the Greg Kinnear character from Little Miss Sunshine and that's what I was like kind of going for which is that uh Steve Carell's character is like the brother and uh, Harry Dean Stanton and like it's almost like interesting that the lookalikes that they also have the full beard and like dazed and uh uh essentially it's it's people who are like intimidated by their own possible like normal boring lives or something like that and like that's what they're uh, afraid and running away from uh to the extent that they have to like put themselves through this trouble to feel a little uh like more 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 than that is going on for them and i think that's kind of what we're we're coming to as well like which is that like uh it, what is success really and what uh what is like this person's uh, aversion towards it and if you look at that it's basically um he's like the kind of hippie character who goes to the edges of it and then comes back and he realizes that he's like somewhat of almost like conservative in a, in a, in a view, like in a, in a narrow, only when it comes to women. Um, and like kind of, uh, on the, on the flip side, um, his like muse. And I think that's what the young person also suggests. Like, I don't know how much of this is like an equal, a partner, sort of it's 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 more like a muse sort of uh, allegory is what it feels like because it cannot possibly be an equal because she doesn't really even compare in a in a sort of way it feels almost like he's a father figure to her um and i think that's kind of the um other thing that i was like also you know what did you think about that aspect like did you really feel like they were equals in that sense i, I kind of felt i kind of felt like um 
she she was this empty vessel like he was through most of the movie because like we're trying to figure out like who why he was went into the fugue state what set him off what broke up this relationship how the kid got to the um uh got to his brother's place you know like like we don't have any of the pieces until the very very end of the film and um so like when he's looking at uh the reflection um you know and seeing his face back in in her uh frame it, it's it's almost like you know he's now filling her up with his expectations just like we spent the entire film you know putting our expectations into him but but like yeah. in terms of her power i was like yeah. curious to know you know what what level of like power does she even have or how much of an influence does she have um like you know he's not even able to see a home video Seven. of her without like being extremely just like breaking to pieces and yeah. yet like but it's the idea of her it isn't necessarily her mm. it's the idea of her it's it's like his idea do you Which love me or do you love the idea of me and she also like speaks in a fake uh, southern accent which is which is well, kind of funny as well she's uh I, I can't remember if she's yeah, she's, she's german she's german the she's german, she's a german accent german, yes so her fake southern accent is just her trying to do a southern accent oh okay i yeah. see yeah, yeah. I and funny. and apparently a lot of people said and i don't know if they're being like not sarcastic but i don't know if they were just being like complimentary but um when i was watching that 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 dvd uh that or whatever i don't know if it's dvd commentary or just criterion commentary um uh, when Wender says um, he he was like he was like yeah so many people were just like that was such a good southern accent she was so good at it and I was like have you heard of have you no, heard of she wasn't <laughs> she was no, it, 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 it her performance was good <laughs> yeah that's her performance yeah. was fantastic like 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 yeah, but it's objectively know, untrue that that was a good southern accent she had she had she had also though has she had red scare vibes and I didn't like it. <laughs> she she looked like Bridget Bardot like which was kind of I, I felt like unmistakable in the way I that, just felt like uh, she looked like one of the I felt like she looked like one of the girls from Red Scare a little bit and I was like yeah. <laughs> She's a I don't think I've seen either of them. That's two, right? Well, like, keep um, it that way. It's not I mean it's not <laughs> Um anyway, moving on. Uh... <laughs> I don't know. I really well, I do, no, I do like... really I do really like the shot because not only are, is there the two hands going up as if he's like, but then obviously his hands on the actual phone. So it just makes it really, really weird. Yeah. Yep. It's a very David Lynchian in its way. You know, it's a very, uh, the composition of it just being like, think about what's happening in that exchange and what's, you know, what's literally in the mirror. Um, I forgot to look up the uh, DP uh, before, um, uh, you know, before we came on, is, is did he work with Lynch at all? The director of photography? Uh, no, yeah, um, I, I assumed it wasn't deep penetration. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me look. I, I was just kind of curious. I, I'm pretty like, sure he's. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was also German. Is it Robbie Muller? I yeah, think right. The, yeah, Robbie Muller did. Uh, um, he was like Repo Man, Mystery Chain. Did, did a bunch of uh, uh, Jarmusch stuff. Um, Dead Man. He did. Wait, uh, if he did Repo Man, that was the same year. That that mm-hmm. would mean that him and Harry Dean Stanton that this I think this movie was filmed. I, I was trying to do the the math because they have like dates of when things were filmed. It might have been between the time that they um paused the filming of uh of this movie that Reaper Man got filmed and then Harry Dean Stanton came back, um, which is kind of crazy because both those movies dropped in uh 1984. Orwellian man, nice. I, I, I think not. I don't even forgot that we we watched him in that movie. Like it, yeah. Just like 
I didn't. I didn't. I kept thinking about that movie when I was watching. But because the the colors, the colors made me like the the bright greens made me think of Repo Man. And, and also was, because yeah. ordinary fucking people, you hate them. Also that too. <laughs> um, no, I I one thing that I wanted to bring up. I don't remember when the conversation this was, but I also think that um, I when you were saying when you, oh Carly when you were saying the the kind of like almost like a hippie character. I don't think it was that. I think it's he's supposed to be. I mean, he is. In, inherently a conservative character because he's kind of the the cowboy he's the cowboy architect mm. right like in some ways like and, and cowboys are always cowboys are like one of the few i feel like um heroes that are allowed to be like kind of anti-heroes early on right like they, they're imperfect people that are just kind of wandering and then but then because the fact that they have such a strong code everyone's like well you know they might be imperfect they might drink too much they might you know um, you know, just to go around looking for girls, but like, you know, what, whatever, whatever is in the code that like at the time, you know what I mean? Like earlier than I think other antiheroes were allowed to exist, like Clint Eastwood's. Uh, That's just so people could sell cigarettes, right? Like, wasn't that? Yeah. Kind of it? <laughs> but like, but, but so I, I feel like um, he's kind of that cowboy archetype, but which is also an inherently, that code is inherently conservative. It's like a, he's allowed to get away with like, he's, he's allowed to get away with kind of like fucking around with a bunch of things that maybe another hero wouldn't be because he's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. He's in the wilderness and he's like this, you know, this, this, this kind of haggard person. But at the same time, it, the code of it is like, I'm going to save a woman, a damsel in distress needs help and I'm there to do it. And I, you know what I mean? So like, it's like an inherently conservative trope, um, I think. But it's, but it's also a person who has no purpose in and of himself, like in that case, right? Like, and that's kind of, I think the, the kind of uh, conundrum of the existential hero in the in the American sense, which is that like, what is your role really? Who are you? You know, and it's like uh, you're a person when you know you're your hand, uh, you're a person who's of help when help is needed. But like, who are you uh, unto yourself? I think like that's one of the reasons why he he kind of has to take the step back and leave also because I feel like he doesn't really have a place in anybody's life. And, and, and that's kind of the tragedy of it. Like, despite the fact that he's a perfectly all right guy, uh, I don't think that like there's any, uh, he doesn't feel f first of all, that he adds any value to anybody's life. And that's kind of pretty uh, fascinating. What is the reason why he feels like he is like, you know, this Charlie Chaplin character who can just like take himself out of the movie by the end. He's doing the opposite. Away. He has added negatively to every life. Every every life that's supposedly close to him, he's added negatively towards. He abandoned. I mean, he abandoned the family, left the left the kid, literally put a fucking cowbell, obviously on the on the wife. But then also, but what does the, it all the, mean? The, like that's the question. The brother, like, well, it's but that's it but needs that's more cowbell. <laughs> more cowbell. I got a fever. <laughs> I almost made it through one. Well, what is his problem? You know, like if you if you were to ask. I like, think he's trying to undo the damage that he caused, but then he he feels like he doesn't deserve to be in society. Like like that is, that's this, always the Western thing, right? Like, yeah, there, there's like you know he and, and like like it actually goes back to like like you know the pioneer kind of uh, thing. If you read uh, the um, Little House in the Prairie books, um, we we we, we decided refuse. you know completely non-canon um, uh, interpretation that 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 uh, and you can read it totally read it this way that 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 uh, Laura's father was mentally ill, which is why he kept moving the family out west to get away from people, like you know. Um, which is uh, I think was probably like the reason that a good amount of people. I mean, you know, what I mean, like left left certain areas to like move 
farther. Yeah, I mean, there, there are different reasons to do it, but like he never really had a reason to do it if you, if you actually read the books. Um, and, and so like, like Harry Dean Stanton actually kind of reminded me a bit of that where like, you know, he he's, has this weird like repulsion of society um, because Wisconsin became too crowded for him. And, uh, you know, I know Conan's laughing right now with that uh, thought, um, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, in the, the 18, whatever's, uh, seventies, I think the, the books took place in, um, 18, yeah, we'll go with 1870s. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but, but like, uh, you can totally see like, as, um, uh, as the books kind of go on, he's like, he's constantly retreating from uh, society. And, and it's almost, you know, like that kind of character is, is kind of connected to a lot of the cowboy themes um, where, where these people are also kind of rejecting society in their own ways. Calm down there, Adam which, Curtis. Which we're kind of like, uh, you know, I, I, we, Forrest and I were talking about this, like is the, is the kind of American libertarian, like if you were to argue that the cowboy drifter uh, is like a, libertarian sort of you know mythological as aspirational uh, you know uh what aspirational character then uh do you think that like it, it is directly tied to just like colonial expansion or like you know imperial expansion like at the absence of it uh it just like relapses into this kind of fantasy land that you're thinking paris texas which doesn't exist except anywhere except in your head it's like yeah. a state. It's a state of mind that you're constantly searching, except you're never gonna get, you're never gonna find it because your reality is no longer an imperialist. Like at, at least at the personal one individual level, you could never like just go to a, a piece of land and claim it anymore. So you Marina, have do you have any, of... Marina, do you have any thoughts on 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 any of this? Hey, can, can I just say one thing real quickly before before? I'm sorry to, to, to <laughs> just just to tie back to to Karthik and what I was saying before. Um, Rose, uh, the daughter of Laura Ingalls Wilder, who, uh, who ended up editing the text for the Little House books, was a uh, diehard libertarian and kind of rewrote her mother's manuscripts to become libertarian propaganda. So um, the books are fascinating on lots of different levels. So um, I'm just putting that out there. I'm sorry, Marina. Go, go, go right ahead. Please. Um, Marina yeah, fell asleep at this point, trying to yeah, wait. <laughs> brain off. Yeah. <laughs> You're in the fugue now. Yeah, I'm in the fugue. <laughs> that's well, but do you that's think gonna be the that's going to be the revamp, right? Like it's going to be a, a where Harry Dean Stanton's character is uh, not played by a man uh, who anymore, and that's going to be the new uh, the more ball. women fugues. <laughs> 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 and Christopher Nolan's going to direct it. But I mean, you've given him an idea. Yeah, exactly. But 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 real talk. <laughs> I mean, do you think that? the Harry Dean Stanton character like knows what he did wrong. I mean, do we think he's that self-aware? Cause I, I don't, I don't feel that way. I think he's self-aware and I think that, I don't know, maybe that this is just like me kind of projecting my own like eldest child kind of like life kind of, um, you know, having that like, being the oldest child having to kind of live up to this thing and he kind of he always like keeps referring back to um like his parents and just this like oh well they must have like like i must have come about when they met in paris texas and it just seems to like be this kind of like he he's aware of that he's trying to get to this place to this like 
realm of the the ideal um that it's like this untouched land uh I, I don't know where i'm going with this it was just like no, it's like the idea of it, right? The idea, yeah. like it's it's like there is an actual Paris, Texas, but to him, it's more important the idea of it. The idea he like right. I have, I have bought this land. This land is mine, and the world that I want to see built and that I believe needs to be built will happen here. And he wants it so hard, he has actually begun to believe it himself to the point that Dean Stockwell uh, actually has to kind of be like, "Bro, <laughs> let's get a grip here." <laughs> Not exactly. I was reminded of uh, Jim Carrey, uh, you know, go, wanting to go to Fiji in the Truman Show, and like the, how Fiji sure. was like the place that he wanted to always wanted solve to solve all your problems. It's the only yeah, it's yeah. the only place you ever need to be. Yeah, yeah, all your all your all the hassles of the world just melt away. Like, you know, like it's 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 that same principle. And the idea of think about like this kid. This is a guy that he's fucked up a lot. He did some kind of like not that cool stuff, and he knows it to the point that. Whether it's a, a legit fugue state or whether it's a self-induced fugue state as the coping mechanism, as we discussed earlier, doesn't really matter because for him, his way out of it is this uh, fantastical notion of, of creating a idyllic society that in some part of his brain he knows is not going to, that's not going to happen. He knows well, it. Who, and who and the, that makes who, him sadder. That who he, the fuck that he are you guys it. and where am I? <laughs> But it's you know like I think it's the title of the movie right it's the t the titular line but there is an actual Paris Texas that it's also it's tiny it's kind of un somewhat unremarkable uh, and I'm sorry it's Paris the Texas we we love you apologies to the Paris Texas viewers and listeners uh, but the but the point is it's a perfect kind of place if you're someone that is just so lost in themselves and their decisions that you'd be like hey you know what i could buy that little scrap of land over there i could you know build a house on it i could do this i could do that like My parents probably fucked on that land, land. Which is, which is exactly what was what was becoming impossible more and more, right? Like with time at that but time. But literally you did. He was like, my parents fucked on that land. Let me buy it. <laughs> I yeah, um, is Paris yes. Texas where they have the uh, Ver Versace store that, that, that's uh, in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> like, like it's an art um, uh, uh, thing where, where they have like Versace? a fake Versace store. Um, like, are you even Versace? <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, I'm referencing the wrong episode. <laughs> By the way, this movie, this movie is kind of reverse showgirl. They got the, the Versace stores over there. Oh, it, it was really it was strange to watch this movie after doing Showgirls as our last episode because, like, I feel like this this movie is like everything. Like this this movie is a very very tame because I mean you know in, in there like the you know there's not even nudity in the in the um the the voyeuristic booths that they go into and. You know he's he's chasing after like uh his last like he's chasing after his wife like is I feel like there's so many just um reverse kind of things in this movie that <laughs> yeah the the kind of lack of nudity is something that like you know comes across in that um... which this movie would be weird if there was nudity it would it would I would like it would be less enjoyable if there was nudity just for the fact that it's like a very wholesome in a lot of ways a very I mean at least until that last. 10 minutes. Which is what, which is what, like, basically, I mean, like, exactly, you could say the same thing about Little Miss Sunshine as well. Like, you thought, you thought that it was a completely yeah, whole movie, community, except for the last ten movie. minutes. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, but I was gonna say, Showgirls to this, it is a stylistic U-turn in the way that 
again, I, I wasn't I, I was on that episode and for a good reasons because I don't think I care for the movie. But it's like, oh, they managed to find a way to make nudity boring. We somehow. barely talked about the movie. I'm sure. And that's fine. It doesn't <laughs> matter. But the point is, fact is how it fits in with this movie is the fact that, yeah, if there was if there was nudity in like the in the, the mirror box scenes, like it wouldn't be nearly as poignant or, or interesting or cool. Like, also, I don't want to. I don't want to see horny like Harry Dean Stanton like ogling his young wife. I that, that would that would ruin the movie for me. He's like, I'm 50, you're 25. Let me see those titties. Like, no, I don't. I, that's not what I want out of this movie. <laughs> yeah, like our, like, our like what he said, it's a very different kind of movie at that point, right? I mean, it's. <laughs> but I mean, but the, kind of in the same way, right? It's it's um this this movie kind of toes an interesting line because there's the escapism of wanting to see a protagonist of some I mean I don't necessarily think he is but like that you think for the most for most of the movie kind of is he's just kind of you know with a code and, and you want to see him uh you know like get his girl back and you want to see him you know have a family and all this stuff and in the same way that you do with like the, the escapist western movies that everybody's kind of had for their whole lives but then but then at the end you realize like now nah, this guy's a piece of shit at the same time well, and it's like yeah so i was gonna say like but do we because the whole time i'm i'm thinking about that story with the cowbell and it's like no but, but what i'm saying is what i'm saying is up until that point <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it it tanks really fucking fast at that one because what in what moment do you think that guy might be violent or jealous? Like you don't yeah. throughout the whole movie. He just seems like kind of a sweet guy that's trying to figure out his thing, and, and you don't know what it is. And then that moment is dark. That is it. That's the one. That's the one thing I guess it has in common with Showgirls. Like it, well, it's, it's the equivalent of it's the equivalent of the rape scene, rape scene in the Showgirls, where all of a sudden the the entire no, but it's the, the entire intensity of the movie just suddenly shifts into like this dark space of like oh fuck. <laughs> But of course, Fun. here they didn't need to do it with any kind of sexuality. He just, you know, he just put a cowbell on. In, ca in case anybody's wondering, um, it's a Prada shop in Marfa, Texas. Uh, oh, so, yeah, Marfa, so of course. To... Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. I get it. You know, similarish vibes. You know, yeah, I for say Marfa. Yeah. <laughs> I was All like, right, anyway. How many like shots? I just wanted to get it in this. Like, uh, how many shots of this movie um, had like such on the nose symbolism? Like, there was one in which like this, there was a Statue of Liberty into which like they, there's a door that opens and you know the kid goes in or he goes inside, and like uh, there's another one with a Native American mural or something like that. And there were a lot of shots that kind of like had a very clear like framing that. Uh, kind of actually showcases like a corniness i felt like that was uh that was like it also an important part of um you know uh the ethos of like having an ideal as opposed to uh as opposed to just being cool with life itself which yeah, cause, uh because yeah, what uh, do you think well what i thought was also interesting uh just kind of building on that is that that the movie wasn't like just shot in la and pretended everything else was elsewhere. It was shot in Houston. It was shot in the middle of nowhere in Texas. Oh, yeah, it was shot real. in California. Um, so, so, these so, ATMs. I mean, it's very clearly like they literally, yeah. they literally <laughs> shot it on the highway in Houston. And yeah, in the no. DC commentary, he's like, "Oh, this is the best highway I've ever seen. This is the highway. If you want to shoot on the highway, this is the highway you go to." <laughs> Which Houston is nasty to drive in if you've never been there before, by the way. Just, but apparently, just, has the best highways for putting two red <laughs> yeah. cars in front of you and driving in front of them. Yeah. Um, all right. So I have, I have, I have, um, I, I want to, uh, end this 
pretty soon um just because it's you know it's getting to 10 30 already um i have he doesn't a, want to I, be editing too much. Uh, don't mince okay. words tell us how you feel <laughs> well so far i think i would just put it up the way it is so hopefully you know um here's here is the clip that i promised that i would put on for conan to talk about the music and then i have the the final clip of um the the uh dean stockwell talking about the climate so those are the two clips i want to play before this um wraps up here is conan's here's conan's uh specialty raison d'etre <laughs> i was sitting around the table with with my wife Susie and, and jim dickinson the keyboard player and we were doing something, I forget why he was out here from Memphis and he said, well, I wonder what Vim's doing. You know, I bet he's doing something interesting. 20 minutes later, the phone rang. I hadn't heard from this guy in years. And I hear this on the telephone, long distance telephone. Uh, Hello, this is Vim. That's sentence number one. I said, hey, Vim, we're just talking about you. What are you doing? Well, I've, uh, I made a film. That's sentence number two. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And he says, um, yeah, I'd like you to do the music. It's great. And I had his music in mind all through the shoot. He saw the picture and he said, yes, I think I can do something with that. And when we finally recorded the music, Rai was standing in front of the screen with his guitar and was playing directly to the images. So it felt like he was reshooting the whole picture. And like his guitar was really strangely related to our camera. Like it was a second time this whole film was shot. It was electric, like a movie camera. On va dire c'est peut-être le moment que j'aime le plus dans toute la production, le moment où arrive la musique. Où on peut encore une fois mettre en question ce qu'on veut raconter parce que la musique fait ça aussi. Pour moi, c'est la première fois que j'ai que j'ai fait que la musique composée pour le film coïncide, pour ainsi dire, avec la musique que j'aime dans ma vie privée, que j'écoute moi-même. Que c'est alors il n'y aura que une musique dans ce film. En général, il y avait toujours deux niveaux de musique. La musique trouvée, quoi, le, le rock and roll dans les radios, dans, 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 les, dans les bars, partout, dans les voitures. Ça n'existera pas dans ce film-là. Dans ce film-là, il n'y aura, aura que la musique de Ride Wheeler. Et alors, je ne crois pas qu'on peut dire utiliser parce que, parce qu'on dit, on utilise des paysages, on utilise des, des, des hommes et des femmes. La musique, c'est aussi bien le sujet de, de ces films que les paysages. C'est aussi important que les histoires de, de, ces, de ces personnages. La musique est un personnage central. Depuis le tout premier disque que j'ai entendu, entendu de, de Thaï, c'était un rêve pour moi de travailler avec lui. Le film, ce film-là, plus, plus que d'autres films, a vraiment commencé avec des rêves, et pas des rêves 
déjà l'argent de fait. J'ai gagné beaucoup d'argent. Ça a commencé avec des rêves de collaboration. Depuis longtemps, j'ai voulu travailler sur quelque chose avec Sam Shepard, que j'aime bien beaucoup, comme écrivain. Et on, aura, on, on aurait voulu travailler ensemble déjà sur Hamlet, mais ça n'a pas marché. Alors, en tant qu'écrivain En tant qu'écrivain, aussi bien, aussi bien qu'en tant d'acteur. You know, Raikouter has a glass eye. Most people don't know it. People are talking about it more and more. <laughs> <laughs> that dude has a glass eye. I'm not even kidding. He does. Man, I'm glad Bally Film Guy isn't here because he would have he would have just gotten pissed. Like, almost <laughs> I, did, I, did. I didn't even do the voice. I didn't even do the voice. <laughs> more and more people are talking about it. <laughs> By the way, it. let me shout out that uh, James Austin Johnson got to do the actual Trump voice on Saturday Night Saturday Live. Night Live. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll, i had to kill somebody, and then, <laughs> then the slot was open. <laughs> uh, not wrong. More, more, uh, so more and more people are dying. Yeah, I mean, so Raikouter, an incredible player, he's played with everyone. Plays on my favorite Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band record. Frankly, the most musical one, Safest Milk. Uh, incredible, uh, emblematic of of the type of playing slide guitar player that is so perfect for this film because there's kind of like this sort of like resigned sadness. I mean, think about like you know, and we get this any of this tear in your beer country music, right? You always got the slide guitar coming in, and that and that's Raikouter's thing. And this you almost Hank like, Williams alone. Yo, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love it. I'm saying it. Nobody noticed a, for like a day, <laughs> but it's almost like. Uh, Jim Jarmusch, like Dead Man, right? How Neil Young, like, can you think of that movie as being anything remotely close to the same without that soundtrack? Same thing with Paris, Texas. Like, would those same thing with long... Jim Jarmusch's entire like filmography? <laughs> it's like, let's put some good songs in here, and then no one will notice that it's just you know, like very white indie actors talking for the next hour and a half. I don't agree with any part of that. But anyway, the uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, it wouldn't be the same without like a slide guitar, like all over it with these like wide open spaces and these large expanses of like, whether it's an actual landscape or an emotional landscape, like God, it's perfect. You know, and, it, and it's something that you'd be like, well, who should be the soundtrack for this? Like, can you imagine um, like Hans Zimmer? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that? Wouldn't wouldn't hit the same, oh, right? My God, no, it would be terrible. It was it was really no, it was really funny. So Dune went, was saw, painful because you of know, him. So I so I finally so I finally went and saw Dune. I mean, I, I texted you about it, but so I, was, I went and saw it, and like um, I went with my mom because I was you know we need to ride to the cinema. Or whatever. <laughs> so then I was at the end of it. I was like, all right, do you remember anything that had like any of the music in this movie? Do you remember any of it? And she yeah. was like, no. No, I couldn't like, and I was like, "All right, well." It was distracting on, when on it shouldn't them. be. And <laughs> it was forgettable when, when when it was needed to be memorable. The only the only memorable the only memorable part of the music was like that, ah, 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 and the only reason why it was memorable was because I cut that clip 
um when we did our dune stream where, <laughs> where conan started talking and i went wah, wah, wah. so every time that happened at the actual thing i was like oh yeah that's what i that's that's why i was fucking with conan yeah that's the only reason it, was, it, 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 it worked for you is because you had a personal connection to it i haven't heard it so many times <laughs> yeah hans zimmer would have scored uh bullying based on that music exactly hans zimmer makes people bully each other that's right i think i think he would have definitely filled that entire uh booth scene with like all sorts of music and treacle he would have filled it with treacle is what he would have filled it with and it would have been terrible (laughs) but like but i think uh, what raikura does uh, pretty pretty brilliantly is like he almost paces the scene that he like he tells you at what pace to move it's like i found myself moving getting ahead of the the scene like a lot of times and and he was like "No, no no you gotta you gotta slow down this is like not gonna move for another there were times when I actually was doing something else for like a couple of minutes and then the scene was like still there. And it was like, it was nice. It was almost like we were fishing the whole time or something like that. It wasn't a very by, by the way, speaking of fishing, my my Jim Jarmish comments come from the <laughs> come from the fact that my 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 like my dad had this weird obsession with the fact he went to Jim Jarmish's house once. Mm. And well, I've told you the story before. He like ar- architecturally surveyed Jim Jarmusch's house. I've told this story like ten times on this podcast. But so every time I, I hear like I think of Jim Jarmusch, I think of that, and then I'm like, I just want to mock Jim Jarmusch for that reason. Hey, why don't you be, I actually, you I know actually the black like and white movie with some motherfuckers talking to each other, huh? Why don't you get busy? Oh, with honestly, Wu Tang Clan, they ain't nothing um, to fuck with. <laughs> I, I think what he's talking about is just the movie. Um, uh, down Coffee by law, which really by law, Stranger in Paradise kind of qualifies too, but I, I you yeah, know, it does I mean, stack up the music at the beginning, and yeah. then most of the movie, there's no music for the entire thing until the yeah. very, very end. So, I had, so a, I had a, I had a dead man poster in my room five years before I saw Dead Man because my dad's like, Oh, it's a Jim Jarmusch movie, I went to his house once, and I was like, All right, <laughs> well, like, well, but from the perspective of someone that you know, by nature, maybe a musician thinks a lot about music and film and, and, and how it can be has good soundtracks i remember we had the we had the broken flowers soundtrack as a cd in my parents mm-hmm. car and they would put it on randomly but well because he he came from that same world as like uh sonic youth uh, i mean jack mature since even in one of his first movies right the original drummer of sonic youth also it seemed um, like a, just an unhealthy obsession with jim jarmus he went to his house once but i don't know this let's just but like <laughs> <laughs> music can make a movie and music can ruin a movie. And I think this is a perfect example of for the, for what the, the many things that, like I said, very early on, I think if this was made today, first of all, good luck, but like, it would be like a prestige television series. It would be like a, like a 12 episode thing. on HBO Johnny Max. Cash would be music, music only, <laughs> music only ruins the movie. If your name rhymes with Von Himmer. <laughs> but i think this is a perfect example of music making a movie right like yeah. like like and again for the same reasons karthik mentioned that like the the pace uh the pace of it is so i would say unhurried the the what it does is like it makes you think about what's happening <laughs> well i i have and, a, and um, i mean like, and i think I've that's never, great that's beautiful. i've never watched a, a Vin, uh what is it Vin Vin villains movie Vin Vimmers. <laughs> Anyways, um, I've never seen one of his movies before, but a Ben, I, a ben Burgess familiar, movie. 
I am very uh, familiar with his soundtracks because I've had the Until the End of the World uh, oh, yeah, soundtrack since I was in high school. And look at me, I'm gray, I'm old. Yeah, uh, that soundtrack slaps. My kids turned like, 18 like in a few months. If I may, if I may actually about that, that, that soundtrack is also amazing because he had all the artists make uh, unique music yeah. for it. And it's like Talking Heads and like Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and like Depeche and Mode and Patti Smith. and It's really awesome. Until the end of the world, movie. I'll... I'll I'll go to the wall for that movie all day long. I, I used to have a uh, the VHS. I think it might have been. I'm remembering as three VHS cassettes, but that might be I might be exaggerating, or my memory might be exaggerating. But it's a long ass movie. Again, that that also would most definitely be a prestige television series if it was made today. I don't I, think I, I, I don't I, think the movie I, would. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I clipped this for Conan too. This is a this is, oh, so this is the last scene, Forrest. This is this is uh the director's commentary of the last scene. Okay, he's he's talking about the music in it. Stay with us, Marina. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> My trooper is playing Dark Was the Night, and maybe the song deserves its name in this scene more than in other any other. Dark Was the Night. Kuda was recording this in front of the screen, I really had a strange feeling like he was reshooting the film one more time, only he didn't have a camera, he had a guitar. It was like he captured the spirit of the film so exactly in these sounds. It was like no other music could possibly fit to these images. Somewhat prone to hyperbole, but not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, I mean, you know, I mean, if you're if you're German, like maybe like German, see, yeah. Whatever. Well, you we'll see look. Western, you see Western movies, you're like, yeah. you're like, ah, oh, yeah, that's what I wanted. That's what I want. Give that. Give 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 me some more. Only that for the entire movie. What's uh, I was I was reminded of the scene, uh, the last shot of Goodwill Hunting, in which like you know, Matt Damon drives into the. Uh, sunset because he's like gonna go get the uh, gonna go see about the girl. Um, and what's interesting is that uh, the sound the song that plays is Elliot Smith's Miss Misery. And uh, mm -hmm. Elliot Smith is supposed to have uh, it, this is supposed to be one of his most favorite movies, apparently. So I don't know if like he was kind of inspired by the soundtrack of this movie to kind of like even write the song or like to make the songs that became the soundtrack of Goodwill Hunting. But it's perfect. It, it's I mean, it's almost it's a, one of those songs that, you know, it wouldn't necessarily hit the same without it. Like it's it's it, it doesn't a yes and, right? Is what they say in improv comedy. I hear. Yeah, I wish you hadn't said that. But all right, let's do Conan. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, we're going to we're gonna we're gonna pivot slightly to, um, you know, our good friend Dean Stockwell. He uh, the man. He 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 passed away. Great, great actor. I I wanted to play this before we before I asked for final thoughts from everybody, and um, this is in in 1992, I believe. He's uh he's on a he's on a, a talk show warning about climate change, and I thought this was a very um 
poignant clip. I, I think, um, I mean, you know, part of it is about the ozone layer. So it's, it's, it's 1992 version of climate change a little bit, but. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that was an issue in 1992. Yeah, no, it was, but I'm saying like, so, so, you know, it's not like. It was not like, I, I mean, yeah. like, like, you know, we, we got to kind of put it in its little box. <laughs> but I, but I, but he also kind of predicts a lot of other stuff pretty well in this. And he, I guess he was part of like, he was one of the heads of an environmental group. And so I thought that a good a good way to send him off i guess and we're gonna have another um another another dean stockwell episode i think next wednesday when we talk about blue velvet but i did i did want to um and i'm sorry that on friday i'm sorry dean that on friday you know we're doing scott pilgrim versus the world and we'll announce that at the end of it but i you know I, i'm sorry that it's not a you know we, we could we could i guess i gotta put his face onto a <laughs> <laughs> superimpose it over michael Sarah's face <laughs> <laughs> be a lot more interesting <laughs> yeah he's he is not an interesting person anyway except for in that one uh coming up next week michael sarah <laughs> <laughs> no um what is it and like the the end of the world movie with uh seth rogan all them where he's just on shitload of cocaine and he's just like <laughs> right there's no getting away from the fact that we have an extreme situation. Yeah. And with the ozone layer, that's one example and maybe the most critical example that we got. Okay, paint me a paint me a reasonably cataclysmic picture of what happens if we don't Damn rectify the ozone situation in the next generation. Well, you just can't go the worst, outside. The anymore. worst case scenario. No, it, it can get heavier than that. Already, we have good a friend great, of good uh, friend of Sam Cedar. Cancers and cataracts and a reduction in the immune systems mm -hmm. from the UVBs that are coming through because of the reduction in the ozone layer. Now, uh, the worst case scenario is the damage that can be done to the plankton, the photoplankton, which lives on the surface of the oceans of the world and is the first step in the food chain of the planet. Okay, that and goes, and what goes that, next? That goes, well, then the first step in the food chain has gone to the entire ocean. The ocean goes next, and you can take it from there. Yeah. So it's pretty And we're drastic. all real thin. We're all later. real thin. All We're right. in, in deep trouble. And another thing with it, it's it's a lot of people think it's a controversial issue, but it isn't anymore. The evidence is in, and the, the people distributing the evidence are NASA. Mm -hmm. It's not some weird fringe group, and it's not even a, a group of private institutions or scientists. This is NASA evidence. That shows I'm not sure I believe the general population believes it's controversial. I think they no, believe there, it. I there just are think groups get... that try to promote the idea that it's controversial yeah. in order to inhibit action Rush being taken. Yeah. 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 Well, I think people believe but they get hit with so much now. It seems like everything. Sorry. That, yeah, can't help it. There is so much. We've been so negligent for so long. We've got so much. We've got all these problems, but we got to deal with them. You know, life ain't easy anymore. And it's the problem is it's going to be harder and harder for the children and for their children. I went out in the sun when I was a kid. It was a main part of my childhood, a beauty of my child. And my children have to stay out of it as much as possible. So we got to start now. Yeah. Okay, we'll come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about showbiz after this. Now, now this is a pretty direct man to the people plea here, but what's your show do about it? Is, that, is your show adhere to these principles or do you butt heads with those people? Well, I've been, I've been butting heads. I mean, why? What goes on there that you don't well, agree with? It's not that the, uh, it's not what I don't agree with. It's just they found difficulty in writing a quantum leap script centering on environmental issues. I have been striving for three and a half years to get a show exclusively centered around environmental issue. I hope next season, because we're picked up for another 22, 
that they will finally come through and they have said they would. The best I've been able to do up to now is put in ad libs here and there about this and that, and I've succeeded in doing that. I can't believe you just thought to take a walk. Just don't show up one day. <laughs> well, the people, you know, I, uh, right up there now, three, I have a little landfill of my own up there. You see a lot of the people look very disgruntled. They're right near my landfill. But, uh, all right, so we have that address one last time. This is Dean Stockwell, environmental champion. And uh, could we put that address up one last time? Citizens for Better Environment Project 122. I guess we can talk about the show some other time. Anyway, good on you, Dean Stockwell. Also, Dennis Miller fucking sucks. This is before he got bullied by Sam Sear to the point where he just hid. Yeah, I was waiting for him, though, to go be like, you know, make a really, really dated joke. Like, you know, this is like Star Trek. Kaka, kaka, kaka. Or whatever. Dude, that's that's, that's Dennis Miller. I've only seen him older and like when he was, you know, I don't know. He's still he's still as funny as he probably I think was in that clip. I don't know. I've, uh, mo I've mostly well, I've, live. I've mostly seen him when he's getting uh when he's getting bullied by by Andy Kilner and Sam Cedar on Majority Report. So I think that's hilarious every time that happens. Kind of the best, but no, he he was uh, he was actually kind of funny in the '80s. But like the problem is, is he was anti-establishment, which means he didn't really stand for anything. He was just against whoever was in charge. So he's on Saturday Night Live making all these Reagan jokes, and you know now um, he's like cucking Reagan. Um, I'm happy corpse. someone made a Reagan reference before the end. Of this episode. Wasn't Reagan president at the time of the movie yes. coming out? I know, and I was I was about to slip one in, but then the conversation was like more interesting than what, what the joke I was going to make, and I was like, I'm not going to. Yeah. Well, anyway, having nothing to do with that. Uh, good on Dean Stockwell for using his platform for something important. You know, like that's that's mad respect. The, the guy was a fantastic actor. Um, you know, his his advocacy for like from personal experience and for like child actors and for like making sure that they felt comfortable and they were safe and that like no one was exploiting them and stuff like that based upon the fact that he was a child actor as well. Uh, what a cool guy. And I'm glad he There's didn't no leave his here. kids. I'm just, just giving props. That's, that's I'm, I'm glad he didn't leave his kids in the car. <laughs> Unlike that fucking Harry Dean Stan. Oh. <laughs> um, With the windows rolled up in Texas. If you're you know hot, anything about all hot. that. You've been locked out of the show for like 20 minutes. What do you think about all that? Yeah. I, this is <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, save the polar bears. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's I, funny I, that they're talking about the ozone layer at the time. And it's like, yeah. you know, that's one of the reasons why, like, I guess, like, there's skepticism and all of that which is that like the, the the narrative has like shifted so much even from the point of view of advocacy that is like and and right now especially you know as cop 26 we saw the clip of abby martin um ask the question uh to which, by the way was Pelosi's response to it was like I, I don't know Pelosi's response to it was like someone that's just been like not ever challenged on anything she was just like she was aggressively playing with her scarf in a way that it was like Oh shit! You're on. this is the first time you've probably ever been challenged by like someone that wasn't like a Fox News guy being like, "So, <laughs> you guys really like, like China, huh?" You know what I mean? Like, some, like the first time she's ever been challenged by like someone that's actually making a valid challenge that isn't like a like a. No, she conceded though. I mean, I feel like, and that's kind of what is what is fascinating about this video as well, which is that like you know the science has been settled since then, but like 
uh, even today they uh, concede basically that like the reason they're not defunding the military is because like they they treat climate migration as a sort of threat that's a, that's going to become a national security threat apparently well and eco-fascism so, was it's it, the, the, the scary thing about it is that all right so like we have a republican party that for the most part denies that the climate has any kind of crisis right like they want to keep doing what they're doing they want to keep um they want to keep the the oil the oil like the oil pumping so they're just going to be like hey there's no climate crisis but there's going to come a time when it's undeniable their response is going to be eco-fascism like it's not going to be the response is not going to yeah. be hey we should do something about it the response is going to be like we should close the borders we should make sure that like the worst people like the, the the worst um i guess uh fit to survive in a in a in a libertarian like anarchist society like a anarch- anarcho capitalist society and that's why make like sure that those Max people are water world is a thing see see the mad yeah, max fury like- road episode exactly yeah <laughs> 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 so it's like so th- that's it's terrifying me because it's like like in, in my in my brain i'm like hey I, I i really hope at some point everyone acknowledges that climate change is real it's clearly coming everything's gonna be fucked and then the other part of my brain is like no when people acknowledge climate change is coming they're just gonna try to kill off a lot of the people that you know what i mean that, that are that they're gonna it, be it, like hey it, did, yeah. did you see uh, Ben Shapiro kind of shifting on it too recently? Like, like you know, now he's like, "Well, climate change is real, but it's only going to affect a couple thousand people." And it's like, well, don't worry, guys, they're minorities, and I'm Ben Shapiro. Yeah, just brown people is going to die. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, we all look like Karthik. I, I don't even I don't even know why we're giving that guy uh, any airplay in here. But, okay, but that's what I have to cut out of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> But I will say this: people f- fuck around about you know uh, terraforming Mars. <laughs> we need to terraform Earth. We're way past the point of conservation, yeah. and that's coming to someone that you know. I, I consider myself a secular humanist, like Carl Sagan, sort of informed like a lot of my uh, moralistic views. And ultimately, the entire conversation is still talking. I'm happy about you're not a big. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy you didn't pit, like pivot to a um like IDW fucking Joe Rogan um uh what Charlie. Like, Dawkins guy, Dawkins guy. Why would they do that? That has nothing to do with Carl Sagan. That that's just like that's like the new metal to like uh, uh, their like you know Metallica's first. Dawkins Dawkins quotes Carl Sagan pretty fucking frequently. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Dawkins is Dawkins isn't is no Dawkins is is an atheism advocate. Carl Sagan was a humanist. There's a difference. Humanism means that that religiosity is ostensibly irrelevant as long as doesn't harm or infringe other people whereas atheism is more almost dogmatically anti sorry what about Dokken? well atheism anyway actually atheism atheism is on a, on the spectrum of things because there's 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 a there's an well, atheism. every atheist i met's on the spectrum so oh no. <laughs> sorry well i'm glad no one's dropped the r word in this conversation unlike the last episode <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so point of fact and again the, the just the idea that uh the the good name of carl sagan has been besmirched by folks that like like richard dawkins who yes i agree with you yes you're a fucking dick uh it, you know it, it's sort of like it, it's a bummer because the thing is humanism means that you know you're, you're looking at things uh without a moral code uh put together by religious dogma so that that's and, and I'm attempting I'm deadly serious about all this, by the way. And in that same way, when we're talking about, you know, whether it's some freaking billionaire or something talking about like, you know, Mars bases and terraforming Mars, 
like we are literally past the point of conservation for this planet. We have to yeah. actually actively terraform this planet now. And I hate to get like that's super why, scary. But that's why for $50, because I'm broke as fuck right now, you could buy my terraforming <laughs> guy. <laughs> Just send it straight to Forest. All right. My terraforming for everybody. There you we're go. Rounding hey. on, we're rounding on two hours. I don't want to get it past there. So I'm going to go starting with Marina. Uh, final thoughts on this, on this, on this movie. Uh, final thoughts on the stream. Final thoughts on Carl Sagan. Final thought. Well, we'll just we know whatever whatever comes to mind. Carl but Sagan is so street. sexy. Um. Uh. Yeah. You know. I just. I thank you for having me on. Really enjoyed this. Um. And yeah. Just like it was great to get to watch a film that I probably wouldn't have ever selected for myself. And um. That's yeah. been a big chunk of this this podcast for me. I think is a big like a lot like because a lot of the films that I've gone with when people are like, oh, do you want to do this? It's like something I haven't seen. So I'm like, yes. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like I'm a better person for it. It was just a like it, you know, it was a really long film, but it almost didn't feel that long. Like, I don't know. I was just so engrossed in it and it's so beautiful. So I really, yeah, really, really enjoyed it, even though it got really wild in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. The last 10 minutes is like, oh, you could you could just you could put a cowbell there. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Walker just shows up at the end. <laughs> you need more cap. That's why she's escaping. Uh, Karthik, let me let me hear. Yeah, there's the post credit some... scenes that introduces Repo Man. No, not really. <laughs> three weeks earlier, or three weeks. Sorry, later. I, just, I, I just thought of that bit like a second ago, so I had to get it in then. <laughs> no, all right. So I don't know. You cued me up already. Uh, yeah. Basically, I, I, I thought the Karthik that... button. I would I would begin with like the Travis connection and the fact that uh, this is almost like a I I feel like this is Travis Bickle like uh, getting lost in the middle of um, the Grand Canyon or something or in the desert and then uh, having in both to movies find his way back into uh, you know a form of uh, civil society that uh, he can't stand uh, and also like going having to go back finding his purpose in it and like going back and like. All of that narrative aside, I feel like I was just like constantly asking myself, what is the impulse or the motivation behind this character? Um, and like by extension, the movie itself. And I feel like the one scene which we didn't really discuss and uh, which which kind of like I think beautifully sums the movie up is the is the scene in which like the mom and the son reunite. And I think that like, I don't know, man, like that was a performance that I didn't think could have been like faked and i for, for a second like i i couldn't even believe that like she was able to do that with that kid and i felt like that kid and um uh, natasha almost had like a mother uh young mother and a, and, a, and a very bright little kid kind of chemistry there and, and it was like such a beautiful scene um and i feel like that's what it kind of came back to it's just like a, for, a form of like familial uh mother's love kind of like being in touch with that form of innocence kind of thing and like um some something about uh Hattie Dean Stanton um's character is like gone beyond a point of no return and he's just happy to have these two people and being able to enjoy that at the end of the day and I feel like this is the kind of thing that we were able to collectively enjoy together as a as a family in Little Miss Sunshine where we you know kind of all like celebrated the the kind of dysfunction but uh, here we only get to see two characters do that. 
Um, unfortunately, neither Greg Kinnear nor Steve Carell was able to participate in the celebration, but here it's just like the little kid and uh, the mom, at least. Well, Steve Carell to go back to the office. Stupidest joke I've made in the show so far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Conan, let's hear it. I know Hunter I mean, scored this movie and you hate it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that I just had to say the name and everybody else attacked him now. It's great. It's it's like when the conservatives attacked Michael Moore in 2000. They'll eat it. Well, Michael Moore. I feel like we're. And then everyone like just attacked a, him immediately. <laughs> I feel like we're forming like a ratio. I feel like, you know what I mean? Like there's a pile on. Yeah, yeah. Room. That's great. Everyone just like, knows he's a hack. Cancel now. culture. Great. Cancel culture. It's coming for me. My work here is done. <laughs> Uh, no, but, but in all seriousness, uh, you know, what, what a stunning, uh, beautiful film this is. I mean, it's, um, uh, the, the pace is just glacier, you know, it, it moves so slowly and so deliberately. And I, I love that about it because so many, so many films wouldn't do that. They, they would have just have the first half and that would be the movie. They just have the second half or the middle half. And then like this works and hit so much harder because of all the pieces that tie it all together. And the fact that it really is not just a character study, but it's not like saying declaratively, here's answers or here's like the way it is or whatever. There's just these like looming, aching regret and unfulfilled futures and poor decision-making writ large, but not like much. I had to think about, uh, you know, Mikey and Nikki for the same reason, like yes. uh, while watching this, you know what I mean? Because we watched it so recently, like, not not the fact that i mean obviously like this is a different movie and it's over a longer period of time but like the 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 fact that it's kind of a slow burn to the the revelations in it aren't something that really is external the revelations are something that you learn as a as a viewer that you're yep. trying to like over time learn from kind of an emotional state and so during this movie i kind of definitely thought about that a lot well, and it's, you know, Vim Vendors is, is known for a, a certain type of movie and uh, you either you're either down with that or you're not. And I absolutely am. But like, in a way, this is kind of a paragon of, of his of his whole uh, output, because it, it really does a thing that he's known for, but kind of transcends that as well. And it's just a really unique film. Like there's there's not anything quite like Paris, Texas. I mean, you know, if, if you have short attention span theater, people are probably not going to love it. <laughs> right. Like I said, I think it would be like a 10 part, 12 part HBO series. It was made these days. But I love that. It's like it's all done in the course of a film and you're you're made to slide guitar, like slide into it. And I think that that's awesome. That that's cool as hell. Yeah. And uh, R.I.P. Dean Stockwell, because Dean Stockwell is the is is the gallant of the goofus and gallant. <laughs> of the two of them, which is almost him playing against type for his latter day period, right? Well, uh, the, the entire, I mean, the entire, it's kind of playing against type that Harry Dean Stanton is put at the front and center of this movie, right? Like, yeah, it's, I mean, he kind of, in some ways, it was supporting, but like Repo Man came out at the same time and he was definitely at the forefront of that. But like, you know, putting character actors, I mean, it's an 80s thing or 70s, like the new Hollywood thing, definitely, like putting character actors at the forefront of a movie as the main characters allowing character actors to have like a, a romance or something or to have a family like they they kind of you know people that look a, like real people yeah you know <laughs> like flat like let's let's be real here like both of those both of those dudes like 
it's not that they're necessarily unattractive, but they look like they live some goddamn life, you know? And, and that's, uh, I think that's great. And, and that, you know, we've, we've gone back and forth with that for a while. If you wanted to see that kind of thing, you had like watch a Hal Hartley movie or something. Right. Then if, uh, you know, then it kind of, it, it sort of came back in vogue to a certain degree. And now it's sort of like, well, what's a character actor? Well, if you're a character actor, you're also a leading actor and you have to do both. So good luck. Well, I mean, so we're, we're, we're at a point where it's still kind of, I mean, we Timothy still have Chalamet, Dune Redux coming up soon. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I, Sorry. hopefully, hopefully, am I, am I wrong? Am I wrong? No. Hopefully Gene's baby doesn't fuck that up. Yeah, that, that's yeah, right. Gene's Gene. <laughs> Gene's gonna be um, so wanting to get away from the baby at the point we do this. So so like don't worry, yeah. he'll be there. We can we can keep talking for three hours. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be stoked. And but yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 the point point of pride is like this is a character actor's movie. I mean, even like as gorgeous as she is, a lot of, and there's been a lot of those since. I don't think necessarily at 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 this time. Like this is kind of the moment where they started doing that. Thing. Well, absolutely, and, and it was influential in the way. But even like again, as as gorgeous as she is, Natasha Kinski wasn't like you know uh, uh, a a name actress or anything along those lines. But she had like the right presence and like the right like you know uh, feeling to to, to 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 embody, not just play, but embody this woman. And again, uh, harkening back to uh, to Karthik's uh, point with 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 you know when she. Her and the kid get together. It's like, oh my god, how can you not feel something when you see that? Well, it's also, you know, I mean, she's also not? she's also a German actress, and this is like, you know, I mean, as a German DP, German sure. Actress. But you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it as in, I'm not downplaying her, her, you know, her, her role in it. By that, I'm just saying like it's interesting because at the beginning of the movie, it's like a, a collaboration between Germany and France. That's literally what the title says at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um. So it's it's interesting that I think this European style of acting, right, is is embodied in this because it wouldn't have been brought out in any other. Like an American director is not going to be like, "Hey, does a German person want to have a southern accent?" Like that, no American director would do that. <laughs> as specious of a as a call as it may have been, yeah. But then there's also like the maybe Mel Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also kind of the secret thing of, of that you'd be like, well, maybe she actually is German and is trying to like sound like a local too. And you have to wonder, wonder about wonder, wonder about that yourself, because Vin Vendors is not remotely interested in telling you one way or the other. It's just he's he's painting the picture. Right? He's too German it. for that. And easily, like like there is a German population and a German dialect that is spoken in Texas. Like he could have easily have have uh, leaned into that instead. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, instead we got this character that, um, like, I think the bad Southern accent helps the performance. Like, I, I would argue, like, yeah. like it makes her seem like, like she's trying to be something. Uh, like, that's she's never found herself. So she's always yeah. trying to be something else for everybody. All right, Andy, going to you, going to you last. One thing I want to say before that is I think it's really hilarious that um, uh, 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 Dean Stockwell throughout the, the first two scenes of this movie has a Stetson trucker cap. I, I don't know. I thought that was really funny. That's my I love thought. that hat. It was just great. It's like all the cowboy, the cows. <laughs> it's amazing. All right. Um, it's down to you. Let's hear Let's hear some final thoughts. Well, first of all, this movie made me want to bring on Conan onto my show, Bad Takes, and discuss uh, Jason X so we can compare and contrast. Um, <laughs> uh, that, that's, is that uh, the one that you Guitar playing of Hans Zimmer with this movie. It is serious. I'm I'm being serious. Is that the one where he's in space? Or no, yes. that's uh okay. All right. Yes. 
I you, got, you guys, you guys have until two oh five, and then I'm I'm cutting it off because I. I'm okay. No, I just wanted to throw that. I don't out like catching heat. Like you know, that'd be fun. Um, but I wouldn't have thought about that until I saw this movie. Uh, and uh, but um, no, I I, I uh. The, the four hours it took me to get through the movie because of the internet issues I was having. Um, uh, this was a beautiful haunting movie with great performances all through. And Dean Stockwell uh, absolutely was the yeoman of the, of the movie because like, yeah, he wasn't the character that stood out, but he gave the performance to make everybody else look good. Um, but like, uh, you know, he, he, he was strong at the beginning when, when um, uh, Harry Dean Stanton wasn't speaking at all. And, and as the movie went on, he he did kind of regress. Um, true, but he also like like in his scenes, except for maybe that that very first opening scene where he he just seems so like unsure of himself, and he's telling his wife, "Yeah, I'm going to go do this." Um, but like it really did kind of create uh, like like there was more to that character that, that we necessarily uh, saw on screen. And I I uh, you know I think it's very underappreciated what he did in this movie um, because everybody else you know. Um, uh, was it Natasha from Germany? Yeah, the catch can, yeah, did I get that right? Yes, yes, yeah. Um, like, like her performance was was phenomenal. Harry Dean Stanton, of course, like always is phenomenal. Um, even the kid actor, I mean, like, like you know, so many kid actors are terrible, and, and this kid was, um, pretty his good. name was Hunter, and, you know, his name was Hunter. Wow. Speak his name, and he played Hunter, yeah, no, they, they kept his, yeah. Harry Dean He's also an invaders from perfume. Mars. Okay. Yes. Uh, let's see. Perfume. He's in a few other things, but nothing I saw. Yeah, I did look it up. It looks like he kind of retired from acting a few years ago, but he's in a movie about Rip Van Winkle called Rip Van Winkle, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Here's the description. A lazy man falls asleep for 20 years. Which, by the way. Okay. Rip Van Winkle. I right, believe you. Right here. Rip Van Winkle, Hudson Valley. That's where that. That's where the story of Rip Van Winkle took place. That's right, right. right like I think, yep. I think 20, 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> as did Sleepy Hollow. You're just like down. You're, you're up river from uh from Sleepy Hollow. You're going to Sleepy Hollow, right? After uh, this, I remember right? uh, going to the Sleepy Hollow diner after um seeing uh, Pete Seeger play. I love that Pete Seeger. I have cool. a final Hunter Car- Carson. Yeah, that's that's kid's name. My final thought is, this is not a place to bring a fancy woman. If you had a fancy woman, <laughs> would you bring her here? I'll leave you with that question. All right. Thank you all for being on <laughs> for being on the show. I'm going to get drunk on a red couch and um, yell at my kid. I don't have a kid. but <laughs> And another style to shift over to Scott Pilgrim for Friday, right? I'm. Oh, so we got to announce that. You want to announce yeah. that, Colin? I, sure. Yes. Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim versus the world coming up on uh, Friday with Mr. Chris Murphy of Sloan appearing on the show, who was the, uh, I, I'm not sure if you actually call the, uh, the role, but like he, he, he taught the people that weren't musicians, how to look like they're musicians on that movie, <laughs> which I think is, and, and uh, Chris is, is great. And I actually really like that movie, despite having like kind of like side eye for Michael Sarah. Um, there's a lot to love there. Stylistically would, yes. a little bit different than this one. I'm gonna I, always like, that. I always liked Michael Sarah because of the the movie where he's just on a shitload of coke and smacked Rihanna's ass. That the um what is it? 
this is the this is the end or this, this is the end. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah, yeah. But no, I just always thought I just always like in my head like because I know it's not that's not who he is. But it's just would be really funny if it was. So I'm just like, ah, oh, he's probably like that. <laughs> I mean, I love Arrested Development, so I always got a, a soft spot for. Yeah, but he's the worst part of Arrested Development. Wow. All right, this is so I'll end it on I'll end it on this note. There is no. Don't force me to defend this dude. He's doing okay without me. <laughs> there is no in between. You have you either have to be a rich father or a poor one. Yeah. Thank either you. Either with us or against us. And the Michael for joining us on movie night extravagant <laughs>